the garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you're joining us this morning. Good morning, Kenners. And good morning to you, my dear. <laughs> Hello, us. <laughs> missed, missed you last uh, weekend. Oh, you know, I was just, oh, just not in, doing anything. Yeah, down at the beach in Florida, guys. I didn't get the invite. No, no. Well, first I started with my granddaughter's CrossFit. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so you had to go for that. It was so cool. She's 10, and it's just amazing what they do now. So you were down there getting in shape is what you were doing. Right, well. You were thinking about your health. Yeah, it was pretty motivating. And so now my granddaughter and I have this this thing like we're both going to get in shape over we're going to discuss it over uh <laughs> facetime or whatever over and, some um some italian food you know right yes yeah. yes so let's see how that's got that a lot goes. of calories yeah so that'll do it you know <laughs> that's a good way but anyway now was it hot down there in uh Tampa, was, clear water? Uh, yeah it was actually but you know how it's always kind of breezy so was it's it not was it cooler horrible. down there than it was up no here? not okay. at all I'm just checking and we've right? actually it was pretty well you i think you got back what latter part of this week yeah you know it's been kind of cool and well we've had some hot days first of all mm-hmm. hot yeah. and we had some cool days and, and mm-hmm. a good bit of rain this this past week oh yeah uh, yeah and i love the rain so i kind of hate i miss miss that but i was glad because it kept the garden center watered well because you know how it is mm-hmm. it's um you feel like you're leaving your babies when because they all need care and I, that was the most thing I was worried about leaving the uh, garden center was the watering. But well, they did great because of the rain, too. Yeah, yeah that's, thank goodness. You, you got them out of jail, yeah. didn't it? It did, because, you know, the irrigation just doesn't get deep enough uh, into the buckets. And um, I, the mm-hmm. one we have, you can't set to, like, go 15 minutes and mm-hmm. then cut off and go because the water just runs down the street if you leave it longer well you better learn how to water before next week That's i'm telling right. you good yes. lord yes. so everyone because it's going to dry out fast don't even look back and go well it rained all last week i'm sure yeah. everything's still wet i mean I, I just looked at the weather i mm-hmm. mean every day for the foreseeable futures in the high 90s i just heard everybody throw the covers back over their head and go (laughs) i can't do it (laughs) i can't do it so i mean you know when we talked about this last couple weeks ago you know check your irrigation check your hoses get everything ready because i'm telling you you're gonna need to get Mm -hmm. out there and do some water especially for things that were planted this year you know your you know your established plants i mean they're they're pretty well okay i mean you still got to put some moisture on them you know you can't Mm -hmm. just not ever water those but those things that were planted this year, I don't care if it's, you know, a little bedding plant up to a small oak tree, uh, they're going to mm-hmm. need to be hydrated. And something as simple, we say this all the time, Veda, as simple as watering. But it's not yeah. that simple. It's really not. Really. So if you had a, lo- um, a row of boxwoods or a <laughs> row of azaleas or a row of whatever, and you have to replace a couple, what we're saying is you'll have to water... Mm. There's the row. Mm-hmm. You can't rely on watering the same as you did last year 
as the solid row of boxwoods. The new ones you're going to have to water a couple of times because if you water the whole entire thing a couple of times, then you may cause issues from overwatering on the ones that are established. People kill those plants. We say it every day with tender love and care. They think they got to go out there with that water hose and soak these things every day, mm-hmm. you know, especially their new plantings. And that's absolutely the worst thing you can yeah. do. You know, I always tell people, you know, water deeply, but mm-hmm. water somewhat infrequently. And I know mm-hmm. people don't quite understand what that means. A lot of people don't because they'll go out there and water once a week, you know, with 98 degree yeah. temperatures all week. Once a week is not enough either. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, I say soak it really well. Make it count when you do water, but then let it air out, you know, three mm-hmm. or four days, two or three days before you come back and water again. Light layers of mulch help hold that moisture in. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you dug the hole the right way when you first planted this thing, you know, just as deep, twice as wide, amend the soil, plant high. Because, you know, there again, you've got to have good drainage. And a lot of times it's not the rain, the excessive rain that's Mm -hmm. killing our shrubs and, and so forth. It's the way we planted the yeah. thing, and it's just holding too much water. Yep, exactly. And also, when I'm planting things, I understand the uh, whole dynamic of using really good compost or really good soil amendments. And if it's like when you're planting, I feel like it's insurance to what I'm planting. There's it's no going to hold the moisture right. Not, It's not going to hold it too long, and it'll let it drain quick enough. But the big thing is, is if you're trying to plant, and it's kind of, sandy or just your dirt's hard and just dirt dirt it's you're going to struggle so hard to keep those alive you mean if you don't amend that soil right and you better amend the soil i don't care Mm -hmm. what you're planting so you know always remember guys plant the uh, dig the hole just as deep as the root ball typically speaking twice as wide add that good compost material like veda's talking about whether it's the back to nature the back to nature blend um you know, there's soil conditioners, there's garden soils, any of those products, topsoil, you can work into your clay soil. Now, you're not replacing the clay, you're amending the clay. Yeah, that's a good point, because so many people remove the clay, and you have to have the clay to mix in with your compost. Straight compost in a clay hole nope, is just not a water good. holder, exactly. But anyway, with the watering, think about already, get your plan. It would be a great day, because Well, it's going to get hot a little later, but it would be a good day to go ahead and get your strategy. Pull your hose out, get your, get a timer, get a timer and put um, your hose on that and just let it go off early in the morning and you're done. Yeah, I know my timer. And David, hang on just a second. We'll get you right after the break. We already got a caller. If you want to give us a call, 260-5926. My timer is I'll go out there with the water hose. In fact, the last time I watered was a week ago today, Mm -hmm. this afternoon, because everything, it was hot and it was bone dry. But this whole week, I haven't had to water there again because of the rains that we've had. But, Veda, I don't have an irrigation system. Mm -hmm. You know, do I wish I had one? I think I do. I'm not quite sure if I do because I don't have a ton of stuff like a lot of people do in their landscape. I've got enough stuff I need to get water. Don't Mm -hmm. get me wrong. But I'll go out there and I'll just count to 30. I know. And then I'll go to the next one and I'll Mm -hmm. count to 30. And I'll go to the next shrub and I'll count to 30, you know. And it's just the way, I mean, and I know that works for me. I know I'm getting an adequate moisture down, but I'm not getting too much water down. But I'm not doing this every day, Mm -hmm. like I said. Right. And you you probably experimented at first to get the right amount of water. So then you can just kind of hold to that. You know, that's what I tell them to do when we're watering um, 
the plants in the garden center. You know, if it's a one gallon, you can do five seconds. If it's yeah. a three gallon eight, and if it's a five, you know, and I tell them just to count it out because, you know, in their container, they're going to get uh, wetter faster than um, 30 seconds. Yeah, exactly. So, so, yeah, it's a. Uh, you do. You have to. And I have had things dry out so bad, just just instantly, it seemed, in that sphagnum, mm-hmm. that hard sphagnum. Well, you have to water them twice a day when yeah. they come into the garden center. Right. And if they dry out, I, sh- I showed them. I just put the hose on it. And it was a little small container, and I just watered and watered. And it works going, like the old umbrella, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, go, they go, oh, you got it now. And I pulled it out and pulled it out in the middle, and, and they're amazed. I mean, it makes no sense how you can dump that much water on it still dry in the middle, yeah, but it's it, that soil. And you're right. A lot of times, I mean, we never know what kind of soil is coming in with these plants that yeah. we order. And like I said, a lot of them are really heavily peat-based, mm-hmm. which is fine because it holds moisture. Yeah, to grow. Yeah, but yeah. if you ever let it dry out and you try to rehydrate it like you're talking about, it can be pretty yeah. tough. That's why, you know, back in the day, you know, we did use a lot of peat to amend our mm-hmm. soil with. I don't mind using some peat, mm-hmm. okay, because peat does hold moisture. But I don't like using a lot of peat to amend our soil. I like to use peat with other soil conditioners, yeah. not just rely on peat moss by itself. All right, yes, and... I wonder, I don't even think there's a lot, um, most of the garden centers carry it in a mixture already. Yeah. I don't think they're carrying the peat bells. We used to get 18 wheelers yeah. full of peat, like like in the early 90s, and um, amend all the beds yeah. with I it. mean, most of your garden soils that are great to work into our soil are amended with peat moss. I mean, it has some peat in it, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Uh, like I said, instead of buying just peat by itself, which you surely can do. In fact, there's been a shortage on peat moss mm-hmm. this year. Right. Uh, I know. You see, It seems like we would get it all because it takes so long to create peat moss. Yeah. So anyway, that is something to consider is not using a whole lot of peat moss this year or amending your soil with straight peat moss. Yeah. Well, we're going to have a lot of uh, things to talk about today, but we would love you to join us on the Facebook Live. Also, if you're having a hard time picking us up, kwamradio.com and call us 260-5926 and we'll head to a break and then come back and talk to David. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you could join us this morning. We have three hours of wonderful gardening. We would like to hear what you have going on Mm -hmm. in your garden. Give us a call, 260-5926. 260-5926, the Mighty 990 Facebook page. You can shoot us a text right there. All right, Veda said while I go to kwamradio.com and go back and listen to the podcast later on if you miss it this morning. All righty, let's go to David. David, thanks for the call. How are you this morning? Hey, morning. Yeah, greetings from California. Ooh, great. Good morning, Dave. Good morning to you, buddy. I was thinking about you the other day, uh, you know, the time change and everything and how we hear uh-huh. from David. And he's always got some great uh, some great topics, Dave. But good morning to you, buddy. Yeah, well, morning. I, I was going to talk topsoil. And uh, the I was wondering, had you ever seen, uh, there's a video that's floating around. I think it's on Netflix. And it's about the Los Plateau in China. No. L O E S S. No, sir. It's it's a kick. It's uh, apparently the Los Plateau was uh, where the ancient civilization of China, like a couple of thousand years ago, mm. maybe even more, uh, existed, and it used to be apparently pretty lush. Mm. And 
it's been desert for hundreds, if not thousands of years, and they finally uh, hunkered down and actually did something to reclaim it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's inspiring. Yes, it really is. I was uh, reading about that as well, how they're putting oases in the desert. And as it becomes regenerative, regenerative, yeah, yeah. then it, it can just keep growing. It's incredible. And I'm so glad they're doing things like this. Well, yeah, go ahead. And David, you know, we always hear too, you know, about the way that we used to cultivate land, uh, you know, in the breadbasket. And then you get the windstorms, you know, it blows all the topsoil away. And then you, of course, we all know that weather patterns can change and some of them can change, it seems almost permanently. You know, then it makes you always wonder, you know, our wonderful breadbasket of the United States that we have, you know, what would happen if we did lose that mm-hmm. you know be done you know uh so i agree there's the, the, i mean not only on a small scale but on a large scale i think it's really careful the way that we have to cultivate you know i guess and can't take it for granted that we had this beautiful fertile land you know forever oh i know and you know the fact is uh you, you remember i think i called a couple of months ago mentioning that the uh tornado alley is right. now the, up the uh ohio river right. mississippi river it's no longer in Kansas and uh, Oklahoma. It's uh, up your neighborhood. And yeah, isn't that amazing how yeah. things adjust like that? Well, I mean, we, well, they we'll, cut down so many trees, right? Yeah, and right. and if I understand right, have you all ever run into cottonwood seed or cottonwood trees? Oh, oh yeah, boy, yes. <laughs> yeah, people hated them because they would sprout up everywhere, and they were terrible firewood. Yeah, and so they tried to wipe them out, but. They're almost a perfect uh, a tree for being able to fight against something like Tornado uh, Alley, that they'll have seeds that'll pop up in a heartbeat and uh, and create enough uh, ground cover and, and uh, holding in the erosion that, uh, and slow down the winds uh, that the... Uh, uh, <coughs> But it, it's horrible that it's kind of like a bigotry against a tree that's doing its best to survive. <laughs> well put. I'm telling you, but it's it's true, though. I mean, we're always our worst enemy, as you know that, David, uh, on a lot of different things. But, uh, you know, the soil, especially the, the top part of the soil, uh, that's the most important part of the soil for us and, and for, you know, people that are growing crops, whether well, it's a small scale or a large yeah. scale. Well, the entire uh, world has just a small layer, if you think about it, compared to everything that's under our layer of uh, dirt is mm-hmm. first the this, this small layer of all the things you can grow in. And then as we go deeper, of course, it's not as good. So if people would look at it in that way, as we don't have as much soil as you they think. Right. Yeah, I, I had friends, I'm originally from St. Louis, and I had friends up near Perryville that had, you know, a couple of hundred acres. It used to be cattle, and, uh, and the cattle had eaten everything down to the nub and created all these uh, gullies and arroyos and washouts and all these sort of things. And uh, one afternoon, I just started uh, grabbing a bunch of the old dead branches and stuffing them down in the... Uh, in the ruts. Uh, in the, yeah, in the, it wasn't just ruts. I mean, some of them were just six feet deep. Right. You know, they, yeah. It's horrible. And uh, and sure enough, a couple of years later, you know, they were starting to uh, blossom up in there. Yeah, exactly. David, what do you think about leaving the West Coast and coming out here to the Mid-South? Well, uh, 
I'm, I can remember how hot and sweaty it was. Yes, <laughs> yes. But you would get to see a lot of cottonwood. Yes, you would. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It would make you proud. But, David, we always, always, always appreciate your input. I'm telling you, it's, it's always really good information. And if we can do hey, anything, no if we can do anything for y'all out on the West Coast, uh, be sure to let Veda and I know, buddy. Because oh, we can travel right up there. Yes, we can. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, last, one last thing for the listeners: it's L O E S S, the Los Plateau, and uh, there's a bunch of videos there on mm-hmm. YouTube. You, you don't have to have uh, uh, what's what's that, uh, that one I mentioned? Subscription thing. Yeah, yeah, and there are a bunch of uh, sections on it, many videos about it. I'm going to look at that. Me too. I wrote it down. I'm going to look that up also. Hey, well, stay safe, everybody. Thank you, David. David. Have a great morning, buddy. Good week. Right, California. Yeah, well, I've got... um, I got to start an argument here right now. Oh yes, I have got to hear this. You know, I had a weed eater forever. Mm-hmm. You know, and I guess you get accustomed to a you know a, a particular type mm-hmm. of machinery that you have, whether it's your lawnmower, the weed eater, whatever. And of course, the thing finally died. So you got to go buy a new weed eater. It's hard to have a nice groomed, manicured lawn without some <laughs> yeah. type of a weed eater, right? Got to admit it. Easy enough. So go get the actually the same brand that I had before. I'm not going to say what brand it is, but I had the same brand. Went and purchased it. And I'm telling you, the head on this weed eater is turning a different direction mm-hmm. than the head of the weed eater that I had. Interesting. And it, it this thing is turning counterclockwise, okay? Mm-hmm. And I did some reading about it. They're saying most of your sh- straight shaft weed eaters turn counterclockwise. Well, okay, but I know the one that I used to have yeah. turned clockwise. And the problem that I have with this Veda is it blows everything right back on your legs oh well i guess they didn't check that out you get into some bark or some sticks or rocks or whatever which i have some Mm -hmm. of all of those in my yard at some place or another man it's just beating the legs to death that makes total sense i that's horrible so it's turning from right to left instead of left right but the the reason i'm bringing it up i had a guy coming to the garden center the other day and he was just at his wits end (laughs) And he's asking me, he said, Kenny, you know, have you any idea which way a weeder head's supposed to turn? And I knew exactly where he was going with that conversation. I said, I'm thinking for me that it's supposed to turn clockwise. He said, same. Uh He said, but I went and bought another one. I said, I did too. And it's turning (laughs) counterclockwise. And he's like, I mean, it was just the funniest conversation I think I've ever had with anybody. I know. And that's crazy that after you buy one, someone comes in with the same issue. Oh, and he was. Then he said he got online and was reading all the forums, and Uh everybody online is just going crazy because, you know, they've got these weed eaters that are turning in their mind, and same as mine, the wrong direction. But, oh, my goodness. I cannot believe that happened, really. So I mean, they a, must not have ever used a weed eater. Well, it's just a, event. Yeah, I don't know. But i got to figure out a way to... Well, did, <laughs> did your lawn re- look better than the one that goes the no! other way? And even if it did, it's not worth it. No. You know, <laughs> so now it seems like I've got to walk backwards. Oh, I mean, no. to... I mean, they, it, it, it's just crazy, I'm telling you. That is like... Yard work's already hard enough. And I guess it'd be the same way if somebody was using one that always turned counterclockwise if they Mm -hmm. bought one that was turning clockwise. But it's just something as simple as which way is the weed eater head turning? They can turn your life upside down. Oh, you're not kidding. Because when it spins, it throws it out 
away from you. But yeah. now, well, counterclockwise throws it on you. Yeah, and then also if you're going sideways, it's throwing it up in the bed. It's throwing it up in the air conditioning oh, unit. No. I'm, so now I'm having to do, like I said, I'm having to learn how to do it backwards. That's <laughs> tough. That's going to make your lawn take three times as long. To get that down path. And I've always weed-eated with shorts, you know, sometimes barefooted out there, you know, mm-hmm. doing my yard work. Well, Not now, you know, huh? Well, yeah, I'm still going to do it, but I'm, I, <laughs> I just got to figure out a way to keep this stuff from just blowing back on my legs. But it was funny. I mean, because like I said, I got online and started reading about it also. And these blogs and these forums, I mean, mm-hmm. people are just going nuts. Like, what is the world coming to an end? Yeah, I don't understand why they did that at all. Was it an accident? So they just sent them all out hoping that people no, would love it? No, in fact, they said it's for right-handers, which I'm right-handed. You know, mm-hmm. that's the way that the head, it's easier for the head to be turned that way. And I'm like, well, hang on just a minute. No, it's not because I've always, I'm right-handed. Yeah. I've always had one that turned the other way. And I guess it's just the way that you learn how to use it, Veda. Well, could uh, be. But I'm not used to doing this thing back. I'm used to walking from left to right, okay, down a fence mm-hmm. road, not from right to left. Correct. And that's what yes. I got to do now. So everything I'm doing now, I'm going from Back. right to left, which is just backwards from what I've been that's, doing it. That's like making you write with the other hand, the one that you never write yeah. with. Yeah, and I know it's no big deal, but it's just funny when you, if you get online and start reading about what the people are writing about. It's just running people crazy. So my point is, guys, when I say this, if you're out in the, you know, in the store for a new weed eater, you know, if you're used to a certain way then you might want to do a little research and find out which weed eater is turning the way that you're used to, is my and point. And I guess it does not say on the box. Uh, the weed eater uh, turns uh, the other way. So now it's a big... I, see, I thought they all turned the same I way. For, you know, I, didn't, I had no idea that there were some that went counterclockwise, Vaden, some that went clockwise. What about if our lawnmowers do that? Would that make a difference? Probably not, because I'm sitting on the lawnmower. Well, this is true. All right, we're going to... Give us a call on the break, 260-5926. We'll be right back. Good morning and welcome back to the Mid-South Gardening. Glad to have calls this morning. If you're calling in now, just hang on a second and we'll pick you up. But if you want to give us a call, 260-5926, 260-5926, of course, go to the Monday 990 Facebook page. And there's Miss Veda right there. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting there looking at you right now, Miss Veda. You can shoot us a text. And Jan texted in. She said, Kenneth, the weed eater isn't twisted. You are. Yeah. Okay. Does she know you or Jan's what? got me pegged, I guess. Um but also, you can go to kwamradio.com and listen to us uh, live. Uh, and you can always go back and listen to the podcast. And I've got some stuff to talk about here in just a minute, Miss Man, I tell you what, it's a lot of stuff's been happening in the garden. Y'all just hang on. And let's go to Jerry. Good morning, Jerry. Thanks for the call. Good morning. Hey. Somebody else is up. Hey, Jerry. Nice. Appreciate you getting up with us, buddy. McDonald's is calling my name here in a few minutes. Oh, right, right. You do the McDonald thing. Mm, that sounds good right yeah. now, actually. Um, but I got a little question. This happens every year, it seems like, in my front, just in my front yard. Mm-hmm. I got there's a and there's a big oak tree out there. Yeah. Uh, I have about three, two to three spots. A little mounds of dirt will come up, mm-hmm. maybe three, four inches tall. Mm-hmm. I can run over. I don't see no critters of any kind. 
I can run over and squash it with the lawnmower tires. And that's it. It's, it's no more problems. But it takes a good while for the grass to ever fill it back in. Wow, that's interesting. Now, three to four inches tall and just a mound of dirt. And then um, it just yeah. runs over it. Then it's done. Nothing nothing there. I mean, if it's not a, like a crawdaddy, then it's got to be some type of a, of an insect. You know, right. it has to be. Uh, how? Now, why, why would it be craw? I've heard that crawdads before. Mm-hmm. Is the, because um, they look like. Um, I mean, a lot of baby it, lobsters. You yeah, know, like, but, yeah but I mean, like the uh, tunnel that they make, you know, is kind of decorative. Well, and, but I only <laughs> see them in, in wet areas, Jerry. If I see them in an area that stays pretty wet, I've actually had a crawdaddy mm-hmm. uh, shoot or, you know, mound in my front yard before. Uh, but it's where my water drains from my neighbor's uh, yard, and it, so it stays wet in that area. Right. Yeah, there's like a, sometimes when we get a lot of rain, the water table yeah. comes up some, and so everything's coming to the surface. Now, more. but if it doesn't stay wet, it's not going to be your, your crawdaddy, though. But, and then it's I'm bizarre. Up on, yeah, go I'm ahead. Well, up on top of a hill. So well, kind of away from me. Yeah. yeah, I'm trying to think how to describe a crawdad hill. It's like if you put sand in your hand and then did it around in a circle. Kind of like the old sandcastle like yeah. you do on the beach. but it's not real smooth. So we'll say it's not that. It's not fire ants. It's not a mole. It's not locusts. It's not cicadas, yeah. you know, this time. Cicadas. So, I mean, so it, what I would, I mean, Jerry, unless it's, you know, it's probably not a problem. But, it, you know, there again, I, if the... If the yeah, but if the grass is thinning out around the area that you see these, I mean, I would just, just for grins, I'd probably put out a uh, granulated insecticide on my front yard, come back and water that product in. and you Add know, compost to those areas where it's taken a while for the grass to grow back. That should, you know, that'll give you another layer of dirt so it can... Um, root much quicker well the grass is good in the area so yeah well i mean i probably wouldn't worry about it but what, you know the funny thing is we know something caused that yeah. you know in the something like i said if it's probably it's not a doesn't sound like a varmint doesn't sound like mm-hmm. a mole or vole and it doesn't sound like a crawdad which i've seen in my front yard before after some really wet weather but in your case jerry you're on the hill so i don't think that's mm-hmm. it i mean i really think it's it's, just, it's insect it's related just in spring it's just in the spring Man, I know I'm thinking about times that I was mowing and running over hills like that, but I never paid attention to see what the issue was. But you're right. It didn't come back. So now I'm really interested. But I'm with Jerry, though. If it's not really hurting anything, mm-hmm. you know, I would just ignore it and probably keep going my way. But if it if it was unsightly and I saw that it was actually harming the, the, the grass in my front yard, uh, then I would put down just a generic granulated uh, insecticide, Jerry, water that product in. And that would probably control whatever. See, because I think it's insect-related, insect is causing the problem. Well, you have to call just, us and update us on this. It's just one of those, like, what's causing this? <laughs> right. I've got to know now. <laughs> and there are wasps, you know, that dig, you know, holes in the ground. I mean, there are other insects that do that, and they push that little dirt granule up, and they, you know, have a little teepee there, if yeah. you will, of just nothing but dirt, fine it's dirt. Like four inches tall. That's yeah. the other thing. Yeah. Oh, I got a, some, I guess you could say advice for people. Yes, sir. Uh, this pressure washer head that, uh, for like doing your driveway, about 15, 18 inches in diameter. Yes, sir. Got Liberty brushes around the edge, and the center, the press, the sprayer part spins. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it, as long as the driveway's not too terribly bad, 
It does a good job. Well, let me oh, tell you, you so are funny. reading my mind. Kenneth I was just was talking about that. God, I was ago. just talking to Veda. Jerry, you're spooky, I'm telling you. <laughs> about, it uh, works, you though. Yeah, yeah, well, but also, I've been pressure washing the old fashioned way with just the nozzle. Uh, and I've done you know everything, uh, including half of my driveway. Uh, but it's very slow going. And then I was watching a video about you know getting the one that has the turntable, mm-hmm. if you will, like you're talking about, Jerry. And it just looks like it'd be so much easier to use that than just a little nozzle at the end of a pressure washer. It, I mean, it can it, it it'll work you. Those brushes grab that concrete. Well, that's good to know because sometimes you it, can really see where you. But after you, you know you do a section, yeah. you need to put the sprayer head back on and rinse the dirt away. That's right. Oh yeah. Well, I'm telling you, it's funny. In fact, I told Veda I've got to do some more pressure washing this afternoon. But I have read about and watched videos about the uh, the applicator that you're talking about, Jerry. And I tell you what, I think if I ever do it again, that's the way I'm going. Well, Jerry, you think you're going to get one of those weed eaters that spin backwards? <laughs> uh, yeah. Unless his name Marvin or James or John, no. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Yes, yes. All right, Jerry. Well, thanks for all your information, buddy. Thanks, right, man. Have a good Saturday. And uh, let's see. So we got backwards weed eaters. Yeah, what in the world can that thing be? I mean, it sounds like some type of a wasp, Mm -hmm. you know, that's digging down in there, a digger wasp or something that's, you know, pushing that dirt up. But I'm with Jerry. I mean, we know something's causing it. Mm -hmm. I mean, something had to cause it. But if it's not really causing a problem, then I just keep going, you know? Right, right. You know, that was the thing that I was going to talk about with moles, (laughs) Is it's really a compliment to your yard or your landscape if you have moles because it means you know your soil's not horrible. But you know, if you let them run around in your beds, they don't do, they don't eat your plants. You know, sometimes they may bump up against them and against them and dislodge them a little bit, but you can fix that. But the problem, you know, maybe just uh, let them go in your flower beds so that way maybe they won't go to your lawn. But if they're in your lawn, then there's a whole arsenal of things you have to use. And it's basically you need to go ahead and buy one of everything and just keep it on your gardening shelf and then monthly change it out. Well, the one of everything could also include, was it, two-gallon jugs of hot sauce. My great friend, Mm -hmm. great friend of mine, Mark Hutton, he had some moles in his backyard, okay? And he's read about, you know, the traps and the castor oil and all the baits. But he's got dogs and everything back there, too. So he wants to be a little careful what he's using. So he heard you could use hot sauce. Well, he went and bought, I mean, these big industrial-sized jugs of hot sauce, okay? And he'll mix it uh, one part of hot sauce, three parts water. And this is just what he's telling me yesterday, okay? He actually sent me pictures. And he, uh, he doesn't have, I mean, the moles have just started. So he's, he's already got one. He's, as a matter of fact, I think he's already got two. Well, he, saw, he noticed a brand-new tunnel yesterday. So he'll go out there, and he'll make a solution of this hot sauce, and he starts just pouring gallon after yeah. gallon into this brand-new tunnel. When the next thing you know, you see the ground moving. Oh. Okay? Mm-hmm. So this mole is trying to get out of there. He didn't either like the taste of this stuff. He didn't like the smell. He's just try, trying to get out of there. So Mark flips him up, and that's the way he's done the last two. Oh. But so, you know, my point, though, is I wonder if you walk in his backyard right now, mm-hmm. do you smell nothing but hot sauce back there? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
<laughs> but my point, though, Veda, people would do anything, mm-hmm. anything to get rid of moles. But in this case, I mean, this is working for him. And I mean, he showed me pictures of these huge jugs wow. of hot sauce that he's buying. So now, do you know how many people are going to go out and try that today? There's going to be a shortage on hot, hot sauce. sauce. But, uh, but the, I think the key with him is also he knows where the brand new tunnels are. Yeah. And he's pouring it in those brand new tunnels. Mm-hmm. So you know that mole is... Yeah, because you know, they're active. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, but there again, and we've talked about moles for 100 years. You know, whether you're trying to bait them with the poison worms or the poison peanuts, whether you're trying to repel them with the castor oil or the hot sauce, whether you're trying to trap them, you know, with a mole trap, or whether you're putting down the grub killers that also kill the earthworms. You can't, you know, kill just mm-hmm. the grubs and not the worms. They love both. But any or all of those angles are, you know, the ways that we try to mm-hmm. get rid of moles. But I always tell people, you know, there I don't think there's anything on the market that's 100% effective every time you use it. In fact, I like using a combination of things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you do have a mole problem and you don't want to, you know, resort just to hot sauce like my friend was doing, and it was hilarious, Veda, uh, is, you know, there are these other ways that we can try to get rid of moles. But you're saying, you know, if they're back there... And they're not really causing a problem. Yeah, just let them run through. You know, it's really okay. That's just turning your dirt, uh, bringing nutrients up to the top as well. Now, I get it if, like, the whole family and their friends are running through your uh, beds and your landscape beds. Yeah, you know, you'd have to do something. But just, it's okay. I just wanted to let you know. It's okay if they're in your beds. And I definitely get it if they're in your lawn. You don't want that mound. You know, I had, we had talked about one time of going out and stomping the whole tunnel down. Pushing or, them down, yeah, with yeah, your feet. And then they would run back through and that way you knew they were new. But I don't yeah. think that's a thing anymore. Well, it can be. But I mean, there again, I mean, like in my backyard, I've got some moles in the back corner of my backyard. And I couldn't tell you if, I, I just couldn't tell mm-hmm. you what an active tunnel was because I got yeah. so many tunnels back there. All right. You would definitely have to every morning get up and mark your tunnels that aren't and active. And even then, yeah. I probably couldn't tell because of the grass. You know, I mean, it's just oh, it's just one of those things yeah. where it would be hard for me to see or know where an active mm-hmm. tunnel is. So, but, you know, I get it. I mean, I don't, I don't mind them being where they are, Veda, but I don't want them in my prime backyard area and I don't want them in my front yard or side yards and then if I did get them there um, you know I think I would try some of these measures to get rid of them or at least repel them out of there so I mean I get it Mm, I do too so call us at 260-5926 or look at us on Facebook live or you can check us out on kwamradio.com Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. You can give us a call at 260-5926. We're almost at the top of the hour. Yeah, and Audrey texted in, you know, talking about the mounds of dirt in the lawn that Jerry was talking about. She said it could have been ants, and you're right. It very well could have been some type of insect. I do believe some type of insect doing that. But a granulated insecticide, put it mm -hmm. down, watered in, it's going to control the ants too. Take care of a lot of stuff. Yeah, Yeah, when... uh, I'm down there with my son and granddaughter, and we're we're hiking in Florida. You know, yeah, again. In Florida. So now you're bragging. Go yeah. ahead. And there was what was it? Something on a tree that we wanted to look at. And as I'm walking up to it, I feel the ground a little smushy. 
And I'm thinking, well, there's no fire ants here. And then I thought, well, maybe maybe I checked. They might be. And they started climbing up my shoe. And I wiped those all off so fast. So it was fire ants. Yeah, my granddaughter said, how'd you do that? And I said, boy, I have a lot of experience. Texas and Memphis, they're everywhere. You know to get those fire ants off. Well, see, they migrated up from the south to here. Mm -hmm. I mean, from Florida, you know, through Alabama, Mississippi. And now, of course, we've had them. We've had them for, you know, 20-something years now. I guess I've only seen the beach. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no fire ants on the beach. Well, another mean old bug that's out there, and be prepared, guys. And, you know, they're here to stay. And I was reading an article last night where it seems like the, even the populations are increasing, uh, is the old Japanese beetle. Now, you know, they're not out there in force yet, uh, but they're out there. And we're just bringing this up to be aware. That's that little green, shiny, metallic beetle that if you see one, you probably got 10,000. Yeah. And they're, they've already eaten our roses. Oh, they love roses. Wonder if they'll come back. Had they'll a friend of mine shot me a text last. They will. They shot me a text <laughs> uh, last night, and he sent me. And the, and the picture was uh, Japanese beetles on a peach tree that and he had they planted. They love those too. Not long ago, and he said, "What in the heck are these things?" And I said, "Well, they're Japanese beetles." And I said, "You know, be aware because you're going to see a lot more of them here in the next month." So if you're having a problem with Japanese beetles, you know, we, we talk about this every year. Uh, there's always the Japanese beetle trap. And I know there's pros and cons. People have their own opinion about using a trap. But I'm going to tell you, a Japanese beetle trap will catch mm-hmm. Japanese beetles. But all we say is don't stick the Japanese beetle trap right there in your rose bed, yeah, so okay? Because we're thinking that they'll go to the trap instead of the roses. Exactly. But <clears throat> why? I mean, I'm going to go <clears throat> to the dessert first. <laughs> you get you put that Japanese beetle trap in the corner of your property. Uh, you want to kind of draw them away from, uh, you know, your landscape is what you're doing. Uh, so if you want to use a trap, push it away. Get it back in that corner of your landscape. And then there are tons of sprays, of course, that you can use for Japanese beetles. Um, but I tell you, you know, arbovitas, I mean, they're a delicacy also for Japanese beetles. Now, and, that I did not know. I mean, I'm, well, no, no, I'm sorry. Okay, good. Uh, they're there <laughs> for something else. But I mean, but the roses, <laughs> the peach trees. They're there for some other yeah. bug. <laughs> Last year, the, uh, the uh, my, even my, my crate myrtles, they were eating every bloom good. on them, Veda. So they're saying worse and worse. So we need mm. to start treating our yard to well, get rid of and this. And that's, that's one thing. I mean, it's, it's. They're, they're come from a grub. So by default, you know, since we have more Japanese beetles here in the Mid-South, we have more mm-hmm. grubs in our lawn right. because that's where they're coming from. Yeah. And so these are the ones you need to use the milky spore on. You can if you want to yeah. do it that way. Yeah, like the, the natural way, uh, beneficial nematodes. And, you know, there's been more research on that and more ways that they've made it easier to transport. Transport to because uh, <laughs> they come in the mail. All of the uh, beneficial nematodes and all of that. So that's one thing a lot of people are using. Yeah, and there's the Japanese beetles have been in the U.S. since 1916 and in Tennessee since 1936. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay? But, yeah, they've been in Tennessee since 1936, but they were in East Tennessee. Right, right. Forever. And then, and then they made it to Middle Tennessee, and then, you know, Nashville finally got them. And, of course, in the last four or five years, Veda, you know, we've had them hardly bad. And once they get a foothold like they are here right now in Memphis, they're not going anywhere. So we've got Japanese beetles, and we're going to have them every year. But uh, things like, um, you know, permethrin, spinosids, uh, even neemol, uh, anything that's got Japanese beetles on the label, 
uh, you got to get out there and spray to control them. And then we talked about you putting a trap, but I like to use the trap on the perimeter uh, of my landscape. And then there are, like you're talking about, Veda, uh, there are other ways to try to get rid of the grubs, you know, whether it's the uh, dialogues. And then there's a product called High Yield uh, Above and Below that kills active insects, but it also kills the grubs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a good product, but you got to do something. I'm telling you, they'll eat your landscape up. I wonder if I would actually put that down if I was not having a Japanese beetle issue. I'm trying to decide on that because we always say don't spray until you see, until you have a problem. I agree with that. So I maybe, I guess I would wait actually to, to not upset the balance in the lawn of all the earthworms yeah. and organic matter. <clears throat> well, let me say this also. You can kill every grub that you have in your yard. You can spray and kill every Japanese beetle that you have in your yard. But two days later, you can have 100,000 more Japanese beetles fly, in, fly in from yeah. other properties. So it's one of those things where you're trying to keep the population down to where they don't create a lot of problems in your landscape because you're not going to eliminate them. You can't. Yeah. It's kind of like mosquitoes. You can kill every mosquito that you have and have 10,000 more fly in the next day. I do know some people stand guard on their roses and pick <coughs> them off as they see them. You'll get up early. They'll get up early in the morning, Veda. Or at dusk even. They, yeah, because they only, they don't like sun and they don't like the darkness, but that dusk is perfect. They'll get up early in the morning or late in the afternoon and get a bucket of just soapy water. And they'll go out there because they're dumb and clumsy and sluggish. And you can just pick them off and drop them down in that, you know, that bucket of soapy water. But we're just saying this, guys, to be aware, be prepared, because it's going to be another problem this mm-hmm. year. It's going to be a problem every year. Right. And it's about this time of year uh, when we start seeing Japanese beetles. And the problem there, again, is now you don't see two or three. You're going to see four or five or six hundred. So be ready. Exactly. There is um, Japanese beetles. Oh, Yes. So, like, they won't kill your roses. They'll just defoliate them. And then what I'm going to do is cut them back somewhat and let them flush new growth. And because they're already damaged and the damage isn't going to heal, it's always going to stay there. So I would I would cut them back, trim them up. If they really get in there and start just tearing them yeah, up, yeah. Right. Otherwise, I could just look at it as a lacy leaf rose. <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll leave everything, but they they'll leave the little veins in the leaf. It looks like lace, like mm-hmm. you're talking about. And even on my crepe myrtles last year, they weren't really hurting the crepe myrtles. They were just eating all the blooms off the crepe myrtle. Um, That's so, still amazing. I've missed that and. I, man, it's amazing. come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> All right, y'all. We are going to be back for two more hours. You can give us a call on the break, 260-5926. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Yep. Here for our second hour. I am Veda from Palladio Garden in Memphis. Yes, you are, and I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers right here in Memphis, Tennessee. And if you want to give us a call this morning, like people have been doing, 260 260- Five nine two six, and if you want to see Miss Veda, go to the Mighty Nine Ninety Facebook page. Right there, you are Miss Veda, and somebody uh, shoot and shoot us a text like, mm-hmm. 
Uh, Audrey uh, said, a question on triple 13, is it just for vegetable gardens or can she also use it in flower beds? Talking about old-fashioned triple 13. Well, the short answer is you can use triple 13 basically anywhere in your landscape, okay? The good thing about triple 13 is it works really fast, okay? Mm -hmm. The bad thing about triple 13 is it doesn't last that long, and it can burn if you're not careful, so if you ever use a product like 131313, 13, whether it's in your vegetable garden or whether it's mm-hmm. in your flower bed, as you know, you better be light-handed and you best come back and water yeah, that product in. Right. And it doesn't do much for your soil, and that's really the whole key of the, the growing of really nice, good, healthy plants. So, you know, if your soil's really good and you're putting all the uh, organic products in it, there's absolutely no need for triple 13 because you want them to grow like they're supposed to go. You grow, you don't want them to take up a b- lot of um, nutrients or take up a, a lot of growing. And then maybe you'll have too much nitrogen or since things grow too fast, uh, it opens it up for insect damage like the aphids. Yeah, it's I surely don't mind. I mean, triple 13 mm-hmm. has been around forever and it will be around forever and it's got its place. But I personally like what you're talking about, but I like using something that's uh, non-burning, you know, because there's so many other granulated fertilizers out there that are classified as non-burning. There's surely so many more out there that are very slow release. You know, they don't last just two weeks. (laughs) But, I mean, to answer your question, I mean, can you use it in a a flower garden just like you can a vegetable garden? You can. But like I said, you you don't want to put it down too heavy, and you definitely want to come back and make sure you water that product in. But in my opinion, there are other products out there that are superior to triple 13 uh, for flower beds. But now, if she's got a 50-pound bag laying around and she wants to use it, that's what yeah, I was going to mention is, well, the flip side is you just don't want to throw it away. I mean, that's that's waste. That's money. So I would, like you said, real light-handedly use it and keep your soil prepped really good. I mean, you know, sometimes that just gives you a little edge. You can use it on your lawn also. And a lot yeah. of people, you know, they'll use triple 13 on their uh, Bermuda and Zoysia mm-hmm. lawn. Same thing, though. You put it down at the right rate. And then you have to make sure you come back and water that product in because every bit of that nitrogen that's in triple 13, it's 13%, is a monocle nitrogen. It is a quick release, a burning type nitrogen. So you got to water that product in. Right. Because we always mm. we all know the stories of your grass just grows really fast. Yeah, we do. Really tall. Yeah, we'll go yeah. ahead, and then you're mowing and mowing and then you have to bail your yard. Or if you leave it you have thacks or you're 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 raising your hand. Do you do the triple thirteen on your yard? No, I do urea. Remember that's the oh, first thing I put on my is lawn that is fifty zero. It's like a forty six zero zero. And there again, you better make sure you put it down at the proper rate you better make sure you come back and water that product in because a lot of these nitrates that we that, that we use uh, they can burn okay mm-hmm. but I wanted something just to really give my yard a jump start if you will uh, and you know something like urea would definitely do it uh, because there again it's just pure nitrogen uh, you know would it have been smarter of me to get a lawn food uh, like a fertile lawn food, for example, which is a 2804 or a 2404. The difference is most of the nitrates that are in these lawn foods are slow release. So they last longer. But I wanted something to act really fast, really quick, and it really did yeah. with all this rain that we've had. In fact, I really should have been cutting my grass twice.
twice a week. I don't have time to cut my grass twice a week. No, no. When I was using um, all the organic products to get my yard in shape, it was like right when we moved in. Mm -hmm. And so there's brand new Bermuda. Brand new Bermuda. So you new know, subdivision, new yeah. side, new house. Right. So it was the perfect place to start experimenting because I didn't want to recommend it any kind of way to do your lawn organically unless I actually did it because sure. the lawn is very important to people. And it was fantastic because it was it was slow release. The roots were able to go a little bit <clears throat> deeper because the soil was a you know, a lot more healthier. But since the growth rate was naturally, mm-hmm. uh, because of the organic product, I was it. yeah, I was yeah, I was mowing one time a week and actually watering one time a week. But when it got intense for a couple of weeks, I did add some extra moisture in between. Well, I think to your note there, Veda, that I've already done the urea on my yard uh, to really get it green and get it growing, which it surely has done. Uh, you know, I'll probably come back uh, in another two or three weeks because I did it a month ago and probably put down something like a milorganite, yeah. uh, which is a good organic fertilizer. And that is just kind of that slow as mm-hmm. we go. Keep yeah. it fed and keep it green. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to, you know, just not not feed my lawn yeah. again this year. But I think the next time I feed it, I will go with something more or- on the organic side. And I, I had mm. done the organic product in the granule. And then I used the liquid product. And the thing about using the liquid is when it gets into the soil, it speeds up the process of the microorganisms, which then will speed up the process of breaking the organic fertilizer down. Mm -hmm. So it becomes released a little more quicker, but not as quick as a lot of the synthetics. But, you know, I'm just going for a good step, like the turtle in the hair. Yeah. Just you know, that turtle slow, just slow and on. Slow and steady wins the race, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So sometimes you do do a little spiking to your, your flower beds and your lawn. But triple 13, you know, you can use, but just like I said, be careful. Mm-hmm. Make sure you water that product in, especially with the heat's coming up. Well, thanks for that question. That's a good question. Um, you know, we were talking about the uh, Japanese beetles a while ago. Well, the other bad bug that's on the block right now are the bagworms. And these are the little caterpillars that get on the arbovitas, and they have that little teepee hanging from them that they web mm. around their body. Um, bagworms are horrible. I mean, they'll eat, of course, they'll eat on a lot of different things, but they do love arbovitas and junipers uh, and, mm. and, and cedar, it seems like, more than anything, especially arbovitas. So if you've got arbovitas and it looks like they're moving and the wind's not blowing, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Ooh, you, you probably have hundreds and hundreds of bagworms on that right. arbovita. But also, if you have established arbovitas and the top of it looks like it's dying, mm-hmm. uh, you best go take a good look because they typically start at the top and work their way down. Uh, and the bagworm is the little caterpillar. Uh, actually, it's, it's it's a moth that lays yeah, the egg. Right. That back into, Just an undescript well, moth. Well, when they leave their bagworm, they lay egg. When they leave their bag, they lay eggs in Yes, there. they do. Uh, but these things, guys, and they're out in force right now. And they could be small. I mean, they're not the big bagworm yet. They get bigger. Uh, I had a customer bring in a sample of his arbovita. Uh, well, first of all, he came in with a pitcher. And the top of it was turning brown. Mm-hmm. And I went over, you know, it could be, you know, some root rot. It could be uh, dehydrated. It could be 
fertilizer burn, I said, but it also could be bagworms. So you need to go home and take a good, mm-hmm. close look. Well, sure enough, he comes back that afternoon with a section of this arbovita with bagworms all over it, Goodness. Beta. And they're a little bitty right now. And we're bringing this up because they're out there, and this is the time of year that they do a lot of damage. So if you've got bagworms, go check all your arbovitas. Check your evergreen uh, needle-type evergreens, if you will, especially the arbovitas. And there's, uh, you know, BT is good, which is an uh, organic insecticide, bacillus. It kills nothing but caterpillars. Uh, spinosad is good. Uh, and then if you have to go hardcore, you know, there's uh, the acephate, which is the orthene. But all of those kill bagworms. Right. I think I'm going to do the um, spinosin, and then I might switch over to, to a permethrin the, or something. Right, right. Yeah. Just to really work on and You know, because... I just want to try all directions to get rid of them. But try to spray in the morning or the afternoon. That's when they're actually the most active, even though I've seen them eating all day yeah. long, Beta. Uh, and then some people, <clears throat> they'll make the mistake of going out there and trying to pick them off, which you surely can do, especially mm-hmm. when they get bigger. You know, I mean, you yeah. just pluck them right off. And the first time I ever did that, I had them on my arbovitis in front of my house. I was plucking them off, putting them in a baggie, and I probably picked off, I, I promise you, 100, maybe 200. And I threw them in the garbage can. Well, I didn't zip the baggie up. Well, the next thing I know, my wife is screaming out in the carport because they're climbing their way out of this garbage can, okay? So if you put them in a baggie, you better make sure you zip that thing up because they'll climb right back out. But bagworms are a big-time problem this time of year. They will defoliate an arbovita. Now, if you defoliate one, you know, a lot of times yeah. they won't come it's, back. Yeah, I, yeah, most of the time, like you say. I've even seen them running up a wall when they've eaten everything <laughs> in that bed, and then they start up the sign just because they're looking for something. And I've seen them, I mean, I've seen them on, you know, evergreens in general, like we talked about. I've even seen them on Japanese maples. Yeah. I mean, they can get on a lot of different things, but they're active this time of year, so... BT, spinosad, permethrin, acephate, any of those products will uh, control them. You'll want to give them a good spray and come back in about a week or 10 days. You make sure you come back and spray again, um, and you'll get them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you will. And, you know, mm-hmm. early picking them off, off early is good because then all the bagworms, the, lar- the larvae that's in the bags, uh, you can take care of a lot of them just removing the bags. Off the tree. But like I said, you make sure you zip that little bag up once you throw them in there or, th- or drown them or do whatever you, mm-hmm. but just don't, th- first of all, don't pick them off and throw them on the ground because they're going to climb right yeah. back up on that arbovita. Right. Don't pick them up and put them in a little baggie and not zip it up and throw it in the garbage mm-hmm. can like I did. Yeah. And then, you know, they get, it's easier for insects to attack a tree when they're in some type of stress and they mm-hmm. can be in stress, but not look like it. They can be mm-hmm. missing some micronutrients, which then makes it weaker and over long term. So always add compost, but think about the fact of if they're in too much shade or if they're planted <laughs> really close together, maybe they're getting too much moisture, maybe not enough, but we'll go over some more of that while we're going to this break. So go to Facebook Live and leave us a question there. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call, 260-5926. Text us on Facebook Live. If you don't want to go on air, when you call in, he can take your question and put it on the board, and we can read it that way. Yeah, and unfortunately, we've been talking about all the bad things this morning, Beta. You know, the bagworms, the Japanese beetles, uh, the moles out there. I mean, 
there's got to be some good information somewhere, right? right? You know, I'll go to Hot Ranches real quick. I was reading something on Facebook. Uh, what is it? What is the Facebook page? I can't remember now, but it's for garden center uh, people that work in garden centers and all that. So they were mentioning um, Kiss My Aster, I think is the name of it. <laughs> but you got to be in a garden center. To, to look at it, but this uh, customer came in, and she said, um, my hydrangeas are not turning pink. I, I got a lime, and I cut it into fourths, and I put the lime, the kind that you eat lime. Yeah, just a green lime. Yeah, just green lime, cut it up, and put it all around the hydrangeas. And where the lady was like... Um, no, (laughs) you're supposed to use this kind of lime, but she really put the lime around the hydrangeas expecting to have to do something. That is too funny. And it's, it's so cute because if anybody comes in and tells me that it's fine, it's fine. You're trying, maybe you think it's organic. I don't know. But um, we said put lime, just like your donut. Lady. Yeah, that, you know, that's what I was just thinking of. You know, the mosquito donuts, the mosquito dunks that you yeah. can throw into your pool or body of water to kill the mosquito larva. Well, we told the young lady, you know, throw these donuts in there. And that's just what they look like, a little mm-hmm. donut that kills the mosquito larva. Well, she went and bought donuts <laughs> and threw them out there. So this lady went and you said and bought lime, uh-huh. a lime, if yeah. you will, a fruit or vegetable that mm-hmm. she cut up and put around the hydrangeas. But you're right, Veda. I mean, hydrangeas are like litmus paper, especially the old-fashioned macrophilias. You know, the big leaf, big bloom, pink or blue hydrangeas. The more acidic the soil, Mm -hmm. the more blue they're going to be. The more alkaline, lime, Mm -hmm. the soil, the more pink they're going to be. Now, and I've always heard it's easier to change the hydrangeas from blue to pink by adding lime than it is from pink to blue by adding aluminum sulfate. But you can do it. I mean, it mm-hmm. all depends on the acidity of the soil. But that's funny that she went out and bought a lime and cut it up and put it around that the hydrangea. So and that's not going to help it turn pink at all. Okay? Right. Well, that's like the um, customer that came in years ago and asked if the plants came with roots. <laughs> I wasn't sure. I didn't want to ask farther why she thought they didn't. Because, you know, it might have been kind of embarrassing maybe. But, you know, I just showed her. The, the plants with the roots on them. So I quite didn't know where to go with that. But no question is dumb. And besides, if it's a cute, funny question, you know, it just makes it more fun in the gardening as- it's atmosphere. It's like if, if you buy sod, you know, the green side goes up, okay? Yeah. Right. <laughs> if, you plant, yes. if you plant a shrub, the roots go down. Right. Or how about I have heard um, someone had bought the bare root roses. This is actually... A landscaper from way years ago. And a bare root rose is a rose that has no soil around yeah. the roots whatsoever. Right. It's just the rose cane and the roots. Yeah. So you do all these things to it to plant it in a bucket to have it grow or in the ground. And they planted the canes in the ground, the roots Oops. sticking up. Yes, they sure mm. did. And, you know, it was just they gave the roses to the guys, told them how to plant and all that. But you just figure... <laughs> That they would know, like the thorns go down and the roots go up. I don't know. Were they getting revenge on somebody? I don't know. But But you were talking about hydrangeas also, Veda. Um, You know, hydrangeas, it seems like, overall have done really well this year. I'm talking about, there again, the old Mm -hmm. ball-shaped hydrangeas, the, the pinks and the blues. You know, they, they don't mind a good, sustained, cold spell to bloom well the next year. 
what gets us are these sudden drops in temperatures where it mm-hmm. kills the tissue that blooms this year. Uh, and I've had uh, a lot of people tell me they their hydrangeas haven't ever looked better than they have this year. I've had other people tell me that their hydrangeas aren't blooming at all. And I think a lot of that depends on, A, really the variety of the hydrangea. More so than anything, I think, is where the hydrangea Mm -hmm. is located in the landscape, how exposed it is uh, to the certain uh, weather conditions that we get. So overall, I think hydrangeas are doing really well as far as, they're again, the old ball shape. But I think there are still some out there that uh, are not going to bloom depending on where they were in the landscape. And all that goes back is to the winter because you and I both know most of those hydrangeas bloom this year now Mm -hmm. off the growth from last year. Right. Okay. It's Yeah, and that's another reason they may not bloom is if you cut them all the Ooh. way back, even halfway back. In the fall, you, you can't yeah, do it. Can't you got to do, do it, it right after they bloom if you're going to cut mm-hmm. them back at all. Right. And also, I have done where hydrangeas are just growing out into a walkway and strategically pruned some of them that were the longest ones. I just took the whole cane out. Because it's hard to enjoy a hydrangea totally when it's across your walkway. Now, and the good news is, you know, if you've got the other types of hydrangeas, the paniculatas, you know, like the limelights, the little limes, the ones that typically bloom white, they bloom off the same year's growth. They'll bloom this year off of this year's growth. So if you cut those back at the wrong time in the fall or if you have a bad winter and they get killed down to the ground, they're going to flush right back up and bloom this year for us. They sure are. And they haven't started blooming yet, but they will be blooming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've gotten some in stock that are in bloom now. And, man, it's just, uh, it's definitely eye candy. And also, you know how we were talking how this past winter, you know, we saw a good bit of damage on uh, Japanese maples, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, we were yeah. having the cold, and then we would have the thaw, and the cold, and the thaw. And Jim was talking about it, how mm-hmm. you would get these micro lesions and these lesions in the trunk of the tree. And they would have, they would flush out, and then they would collapse on right. you. Uh, had a lady come in to the garden center. Uh, she had planted some tree-formed limelight hydrangeas last year. Single trunk, canopy at the top, beautiful blooms, mm-hmm. beautiful plants, yeah. I'm telling you. Uh, and they bloomed their heads off last year. Well, she came in concerned this year because uh, they came out slowly. Yes, they did. Yeah, and they were, uh, they just weren't prolific at all. And, um, you know, I told her, I said, you know, start feeding these hydrangeas, start using the root stimulators. Uh, and I said, also, when you go back home, check the trunks and look, see if you see any splits and lesions in these trunks. Well, she took some pictures and came back up that afternoon, and sure enough, uh, she's got quite a few cracks and splits on the trunks of these hydrangeas. So the same thing can happen to a thin-skinned hydrangea tree, tree-formed, yeah. as it did to the Japanese maples. Now, I said, unfortunately, you know, the damage has been done. It's either going to flush out and we're going to make it, or it's not, you know, yeah. one way or the other. <laughs> but you still want to keep this thing hydrated. You want to feed it. You definitely want to use these root stimulators. Do everything you can to keep this thing uh, healthy as you can and to promote growth. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, because I we had ours planted on the west wall, so it was always getting, no matter what, getting <clears throat> more warmth. So that was in a micro environment, which then kept it from splitting, mm-hmm. basically because of the warmth. It didn't get quite as cold. A little microclimate as, right yeah. there. Yeah, <clears throat> and they're not blooming yet. 
but I see the buds mm. and everything on them, which then reminds me of how last year in the summer we started putting in, you know, some perennials and um, thing, everything basically lost its leaves except for one or two plants. Well, my uh, the owner said, well, that landscape, eh, you know, he's mm. like, eh. And then it came out this spring, and he's Flushed going, wow, yeah. you know, where did y'all plant? This is beautiful. And I said, well, this is what was here last year when you went, eh. <laughs> But the thing was, it was most our, uh, winter, and uh, we were still going to plant evergreens, so it wasn't, eh, <laughs> in the wintertime, but we didn't get them in there. And it was such a, a uh, proof that perennial gardens and all that are fantastic, but you need something for the winter a lot of times. All right, we're going to go out for a second. Mm -hmm. Give us a call, 260-5926. Yep. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Call us, 260-5926, if you're having trouble picking us up, KUMradio.com. Oh, you go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page, and there's Miss Veda right there. And Jan Farmer said, uh, put the lime in the coconut, Miss Veda. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> nice. You know, Jan goes to Florida, too, in this about the same area I go. We're just going to have to go together. That's funny. Well, you know, hummingbirds Love are just all out and there's been you know one of the questions there's so many questions like do we know hummingbirds uh, are they attracted to red and well maybe so but they love all the other colors in your landscape so we don't have to just have red right um what a, oh migration they say they all migrate but they don't we still keep some around so that's a you know, a myth that has been solved. But there was, a, let's see, what other myths? They're, they're not, though. Um, well, but if you want hummingbirds, though, mm-hmm. I mean, a couple of things. I mean, you do want to have a fairly diverse landscape uh, right. as far as annuals and perennials, especially flowers that have a tubular shape. Yeah. Okay, so, And they don't have to be red. No. Yeah. But, but you also need to put a feeder up. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that really keeps them around. And a feeder, you know, there again, back in the day, everybody would buy the red dyed liquid that you poured into your feeder. They're saying it's yeah. just, you don't need that. Right. You, you don't, don't need, need any kind all. of dye in there. In fact, you can even make your own sugar water uh, that you boil the water, add the mm-hmm. sugar, and, uh, you know, just fill the feeder as needed. But now one thing, though, if you do uh, have a hummingbird feeder up, you do want to change out the feeder water on a pretty consistent basis. Um, you know, and there are some feeders I think that are better than others. Some of them have the bee guards on their Veda. Um, so, you know, but this whole thing about the red dye in the liquid, you don't need that. Right. But here was another, (laughs) I don't know. Okay. Has anybody heard of this one? Let me get up here to the top because I want to, so a hummingbird myth, hummingbirds hitch rides on the backs (laughs) of geese. As they migrate south. <laughs> Have you ever heard that before? Somebody's got way too much time on their hands. It's, no. This is a legend, and it is entertaining, but untrue. We obviously know that. But what? And then um, do hummingbirds 
drink from their bill? No, they have a tongue. Sure they do. Yeah, so a lot of people think that the long bill is what they're drinking out of, but they actually have a tongue. So um, that is a myth that they just drink out of their bill. Also, um, and it, hum- go ahead. Yeah, hummingbirds. You know, I used to, or I, I had talked a lot about how the hummingbirds are like on the geraniums. You get yeah. the spider webs, and then you get the spiders on uh, the plant, and you should do that to feed the hummingbirds because hummingbirds do like spiders. And, uh, you know, it's a, a thing that, Another reason why to keep spiders to keep because they use the around. spider web to help create their nest. Yes, yes, that too. So as small as that nest is. Oh no! I would love to find a hummingbird. But nest they're fun to have they're around. Pretty. You know, they're, I mean, they're, that's why you know hummingbirds are pretty cool. I mean, they're they're small little birds. They hover like a little helicopter. Yeah. You know, they really don't care. They're not really that afraid of humans. I mean, you can put a hummingbird mm-hmm. feeder, you know, right there at your kitchen window, and you can sit there right at the window and look out. Well, you they're know, they're flying around, going, "We know who we are. Yeah, and, we're beautiful." So if the people come up, they're not going to hurt us. In some years you'll see more hummers than you do others um mm-hmm. you know this last year i think we had three or four and then there was always the bully that sat on top of the feeder and tried to chase them off i mean yeah. it was a constant i'm gonna chase you off this mm-hmm. feeder all day long that's yeah. all they did um of course they all wound up getting a, mm-hmm. a bite to eat but uh, i think this year um, a my wife, bite yeah. they have teeth also oh yeah <laughs> uh we've only got i've only seen one uh believe it or not mm. so yeah, what have people been seeing out there? Do we have hummingbirds coming out in flocks, or are they just kind of hanging out, uh, waiting, waiting for what? I don't know. And the other one, the other myth was that, um, what was the other myth? Oh, migration. Keeping your hummingbird feeders out too long stops their migration. You mean, the, what, what I've heard is if you keep the hummingbird feeder up too long in the fall, mm-hmm. uh, you know, then the hummingbird doesn't, Finally, they'll leave, but you're holding them back, and they don't have enough time to get back to the tropics yeah. before they freeze to death over right. the ocean. Well, that's not true. They're smart enough to know when to go. You know, all animals still have the bird, I mean, the food here, but they know their instinct. So, but there's ones that are for here. But there are flight paths, kind of like there are for ducks. You know, I mean, there are flight paths in North uh, Missouri, flight paths in Arkansas. Uh, where you typically see a lot of heavy duck populations. The same thing with the uh, hummingbirds. I mean, think about uh, strawberry plains is that, yes. uh, down in Mississippi, Holly Springs. I mean, they have tons more hummingbirds than we have mm-hmm. here, okay, because they're right there in that migratory yeah. flight path. Or it's now their vacation spot. <laughs> <laughs> they go back and tell all the other birds, which is probably not a myth, right? Right, right. So you know that's got to happen. Yeah, so those, uh, but yeah, I mean, if you're on, uh, but my, my, the whole thing to take out of this, guys, uh, diverse landscape, uh, different types of flowers, it mm-hmm. doesn't have to be red, uh, having some, um, either a, at least a hummingbird feeder up, some people put more than one, and, uh, you know, typically you'll get at least, you know, one hummingbird to stick around, and they're pretty cool, they're fun to watch. So, I, they, um... You had an interesting topic. Yeah, I mean, one more. I mean, I've got other topics, Vader, mm-hmm. but I uh, had a customer come into the garden center the other day, and it happens all the time. Uh, people that have planted laurels before know this. 
uh, really is in any kind of laurel, whether it's a cherry laurel, a skip mm-hmm. laurel, uh, a lot of auto lucan laurels, if you will. The gentleman brought in an, uh, some, some cuttings of some auto lucans. Right. There were two things going on. One is a lot of the tissue that he brought in was turning brown. The stems were. And then it also had a lot of holes in the leaves. Okay. Well, the first he said, it looks like insects are just eating this thing up because of the holes in the leaves. I was like, no, that's not the case. If you've got holes in the leaves of your autolucan laurels or your laurels in general, it's not really an insect that's causing that. It's a, it's a disease. Um, it's a, um, I, I think it's that's even, it's, a, it's actually, a, it's called yeah. shot hole disease. It's a bacterium is what it is. Um, and all laurels are subject to shot hole disease. <laughs> so he had been spraying with an insecticide, thinking oh, it was an insect, gotcha. but it, you know it's actually a bacterium that causes those holes. And like I told him, I said, well, a couple of things. One, you can spray with mancozel, but you can spray with copper, and that will help reduce the amount of shot hole disease that you see on these laurels. And it's not that it's going to kill the laurel. It just makes them look unsightly, okay? Yeah. I said, secondly, as far as this, these brown limbs— you know, laurels hate wet feet, and we say this about so many different things, but I'm telling you, if you don't have good drainage around a laurel, you're wasting your time. They're going to go down on you. Uh, and he said, yeah, you know, these are in pretty heavy clay soil. They were only planted about eight months ago, Ooh, okay? Yeah. Uh, and he's already seeing some dieback on them. Uh, so I said, you've got to improve that drainage with, with these autos. Whether you have to dig them up and re-amend, re-amend the soil and put them in, uh, because if they're staying too wet, uh, they're not going to make it there. I mean, right. they're just not. They're I mean, not. they they just won't tolerate wet feet. Well, I've seen the shot hole blight in lots and lots of laurels when I was doing the uh, creative gardening oh, sure. or the, the gardening maintenance to things that a lot of people other places didn't work on. The We worked on the preventative part. We actually didn't even spray anything except for a liquid fertilizer that has mm-hmm. seaweed and all mm-hmm. that on it but we amended the soil mm-hmm. um, by we put <clears throat> the cottonseed mill down uh, the plant tone no actually the um, holly tone mm-hmm. yeah we put the holly tone down then we soaked it really good with the natural root stimulator mm-hmm. and then took a pitchfork and worked it in just a little bit yeah. And they started flushing out without the um, shot hole blight, but those recovered. The auto lucan laurels, they, the, the other ones were the cherry laurels. Yeah. So they were getting pruned too. So, yeah. so that causes a little bit of stress on them too. But then the auto lucans on the other side were, like you said, a stem sticking up there yeah. and a stem here, and they just weren't looking very <coughs> healthy. So we cut all the long stems off, every you know, and, and it came up to where there's just a little bit yeah. in each spot. Did the same treatment for it, adjusted the irrigation system. You read my mind. Yeah, they were there was no mulch. The people coming in blowing, the ground was just flat yeah. and dead. And we see with laurels that have good air circulation. Yes, uh, yes. they're not crowded in there. Or laurels that maybe get a little more sun. Uh, mm-hmm. Than these deep shaded laurels and laurels that don't have overhead irrigation, you don't mm-hmm. tend to see as much shot hole on those as the yeah. as the ones that I just mentioned. So if you're if you do have laurels and you see the holes in the leaves, it is a shot hole disease. Okay, and like I said, you can spray the mancozel or you can spray the copper. Do it like Veda was mm-hmm. talking about. 
uh, to make the plant healthier. But I'm telling you, if you've got laurels that are in a good bit of shade and they're crowded in there and they don't have good air circulation, and especially if you've got irrigation, you're going to have shot hole right. for the rest of your life. Well, if I was going to plant them, because they are pretty when they're healthy. Oh, I, I would, do love them. Yeah, yeah, I would get the soil perfecter and another name could be or is Enlighten. And I would actually mix that all in with the soil or the planting area. Just to make sure that you get that good drainage. And actually, I wouldn't do it just in the planting area. I would, well, when you're digging your root, you should be digging the hole about twice the size. So that would be plenty to mix the rock in with the, and then you take the uh, clay out and you put compost in, mend it all together and mix that together. And you're good to go with that. But the other thing is, is now we can use the decilium, and we can talk more about that. Give us a call, 260-5926. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. And we were going to give you some more information about distillium. It's a, I'd say it's, I really, we've been really aware of it and selling it more the past four or five years. Yeah, I mean, it's a fairly new type of shrub that's on the market called distillium yeah now there's a lot of varieties like the jade distillium which is a taller one oh there's blue cascade and there's linebacker and god there's just so many distilliums on the market now and it's a neat neat shrub Mm -hmm. i'm telling you and it's one of those where like you're talking about that a lot of people that used to plant autolucan laurels uh that don't plant them because of the reasons we were talking about uh, they'll replace those kind of shrubs mm-hmm. with shrubs like distilliums. Yeah, works works great. You know, some other shrubs we don't use so much, but are really pretty in the landscape are the wajilias. Oh yeah. You know, they they lose their leaves, um, especially on hard hard winters, but they bloom early in the spring, and then they have great foliage and and color. You get you can get color in your garden. By using different color shrubs, you all you really don't have to like we used to. Everything was green, and then yep. if you wanted color, you would plant all your annuals. And you remember when uh, uh, lorpedalum came on the market? Oh, right. You know yeah. that's one reason people love lorpedalum is because it doesn't have just that green leaf. Mm-hmm. It's got a purple leaf on it. Most of them do. Yeah. Uh, same thing like you're saying with some of the newer varieties of wygelias. It's not just a green leaf. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing with some of the new spireas that are out there. Oh, my gosh, it's, yes. You know, it's not just a green leaf. And that's like you're saying, babe, that's what people love. Uh, you know, they can landscape with, we can always landscape with green. Right. You know, yeah, green. Just easy. Green's We've easy to find. Plenty, yeah. Exactly. And that's what, you know, piques the interest on a lot of these, uh, these, these new shrubs that are on the market uh, is... Not only the the characteristics of it, of mm-hmm. course, and the bloom sometimes, but it's the the color of the foliage. You yeah, know? that yeah, and we're we're into the chartreuse because that's how we're doing with the hostas, picking different color hostas and blending them together, and that gives you a lot of nice textures. Even and some of colors. the and even some of the ferns, you know, they're not yeah. just green; they're variegated, you know, Japanese mm-hmm. painted ferns, ghost mm-hmm. ferns, and so forth. So you're right. It's not. We're not only landscaping with texture. We're not only landscaping with the color of a bloom. We're also landscaping with the color of the foliage. Yeah. You know. Yes, I'm. I'm seeing more and more landscapes <laughs> where we're living, living it up like that. Now, one thing I do see is the threadleaf uh, cypress, mm-hmm. and they're so pretty, and they'll add some great yellow to your plants or to your landscape. 
But the thing is, is I see a lot of people planting them as a border shrub, mm-hmm. but they get 10 feet tall mm-hmm. and five feet wide. Mm-hmm. It, it, well, you know, it could take about 10 years to get to that. But when you've got, when they start getting below or above four feet, there went your border shrub, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's the hard thing is sometimes we don't check the tag out or they're just so pretty. We visualized it and they're going in there, but now you're going to have huge shrubs. So, you know, I would say if you had planted some, you might want to just go ahead and transplant. Yeah. Like, to an area really where you let them, let them grow, yeah. let them get as big as you want, but because make sure they're in the right spot. Prune them. And they go really prune them down. And I told about you, you know, two weeks ago about the golden arborvitus now. Oh, right. um, yeah. Goldie forever. I've got it written yeah. down somewhere, but it's instead of just your green arborvita, mm-hmm. I mean, this is a yellow, green, beautiful arborvita. You know, in Texas, central Texas, I wonder how those yellows are doing because we always had iron deficiencies there. So anything yellow, you're just like, no, iron deficiency. So you just think it. When I came to Memphis and there was things that were yellow, my first instinct was... uh, Those things need to be fed. Right, They're they're anemic. And we just get rid of those if I have to do all that because it takes forever. So... But, you know, when you go to, like, Canada or some of the northern areas where just the big evergreens grow, the conifers and all, and I see them landscaped with their different colors of greens and blues, actually. And it's really pretty because at first I was disappointed because there wasn't everything we were traditionally used to. But then when I saw how they were landscaped together, then I'm thinking, wow, I kind of want an island of that. Well, and, and, and what started this whole discussion was, you know, there are new introductions of shrubs coming out, you know, quite often. And you mentioned the distillium as one. And I'm starting to see a lot of distilliums being planted, especially on the commercial side. Mm. Uh, I mean, because they're that diverse and there's so many different varieties out there. I mean, there's a distillium for every spot because there's some that, like I said, only get two foot tall. There's some that get eight foot tall. There's some that are more upright. There's some that are very weeping type. Yeah. Uh, Veda. And it's just, it's such a diverse plant, but it's a good evergreen, tough, tough yeah. shrub that's on the market now. And like I said, a lot of people there again that used to plant autolucan laurels and the problems mm-hmm. that people had with those, uh, they are replacing them as they die, seems right. like, <laughs> with uh, a lot of these, uh, some, for example, distilliums. Well, Great shrub, I'm telling you. Because like right when this was coming out, our first things were, what are we going to uh, replace the autolucan laurel with? What, what, what? So we're just going to keep uh, trying to keep them disease-free. And, and then all, bam. Yeah, and also, you know, so many people lost Indian hawthorns. Oh, right. You know, a um, couple years ago because, or uh, last year? Uh, Two year, years, years ago. ago yeah. yeah. Uh, because of the winter that we had, that sudden drop in temperature, almost every Indian hawthorn in Shelby County was killed. Mm-hmm. It's just that simple. Yeah. And, yeah, some people go back and replant, uh, you know, knowing that could it happen again this winter? Yeah. Yes. Could it happen again in 10 years? Yeah. It could. Uh, but a lot of people are replacing the Indian hawthorns uh, with distillium, mm. for example. Right. Yeah, that's a good replacement. I mean, the Indian hawthorns bloom, and they're really pretty. But also, I I saw a lot of places where they just pruned them back. And this year, did you see that? Yeah, if, if you had the patience. Patience, oh, indeed, indeed. Because I, I feel like I looked at dead um, Indian for hawthorn year. for, yeah, yeah, a year. And then I noticed the other day, I was like, well, they look pretty decent there. Yeah, they started slowly coming back. Some of them from the root system mm-hmm. and from the very bottom of yeah. the shrub. 
And, you know, you'd eventually cut out all, all the dead tissue, cut it out of there. And like I said, if we're patient enough, which no one is, but if we're patient enough, you know, a lot of those Indian hawthorns would have grown back. Yeah, okay. they would have. But not I all sure, of them. Yeah, I sure could not endure that, even though I know that they, you know, it's going to look like that. And then also there are questions that I get a lot of, uh, I planted two of the same thing, yeah. and this one's not fleshing out, and this one is. Yeah. But sometimes they can be two of the same plants, but it takes the other one a little longer to flush out. Well, they're still independent. I mean, they they all have their independent root system, mm-hmm. you know, which is always a little different from shrub to shrub. Uh, and it, it, it and it can appear. I mean, how about the time where people plant eight of uh, eight hollies in a row, and the two in the middle die? Yeah, the other ones are fine. Right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just some little micro environments. And as time goes on, a lot of times the root systems, you know, they grow together, uh, form a symbiotic relationship, and that's how they talk to each other. <laughs> you know, now, now we're learning. Don't know if that's a myth uh, or not. You know, it used to think pe- people used to think that, but it's because I mean, no, they're not talking like, "Hey, what you doing over there?" You know, but they're just helping each other to grow. Well, I mean, it's all about the root system. That's right. why we always tell people, you know, plant the right way here in the Mid-South in our clay soil. And we're not saying clay is bad, but we're saying you better amend that clay. And then there are products, you know, even the Espoma products now, like the, the Tone products, they have mycorrhiza in it. Boy, it's fantastic. We never heard of that years and years back. All right, y'all just hang on for a few. We're going to come back and we will talk to you in the garden. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. We're on mm-hmm. our third air hour. And you know, there's never... You can never run out of subjects to talk about in gardening. But that was the third what we're talking about? Er. Yeah, I did, and you so caught me. Okay, here's something. So, all right, was it how many? Maybe Ooh. a year and a half ago. All right. I'm thinking, that, and we could say maybe even a year. There, My son had two baked bata- two potatoes that are wrapped in the plastic. And he left them in there so long, they started growing, you know, Uh. out of the plastic and all. So then he took them and put them on the picnic table outside. And they kept growing. And when I came back again, one of the potatoes was kind of disintegrating and the other one still looked good. I came back again and they're still there. But the potato... And this is just an experiment yeah. now. Just well, to now see, it's an experiment. Yeah. yeah, he's just waiting it out. See what I don't this know thing, see what how, happens. how he can keep it there that long. But the disintegrated one was still in the plastic, and the one next to it was healthy. Mm. Now, it's so amazing what these younger kids are thinking because of all the ways that plants talk to each other and all of that. He was wondering, because it's experiment now, that, okay, the new growth, the, the growth that had come out, they were <clears> touching. One, one potato and the other potato, yeah. they were touching. The, the foliage, the growth that was yeah. coming out, yeah. And so this is where he kept watching it because, and it stayed like that. 
he was like, could it possibly be that one of them is giving itself yeah. up for the health of yes, the other one? You know, they were touching the whole time, yeah. and, and I was like, well, that's a good observation. And he goes, that he goes, do you think it could be? And I go, well, at first I would say no, but more and more that we're learning about how plants work together, that could be possible. So I tried to move him. He's like, don't touch them. Don't touch them. Don't you even look at them. <laughs> but there are symbiotic relationships we know uh, down in the root system. Uh, you know, we mm-hmm. mentioned mycorrhiza before we uh, went to the break, uh, which is a beneficial fungi that, you know, it, it, it encourages root hair production. Yeah. Okay. So when we see a root system, it's not just the major root. Those nice big white yeah, that roots. Is, those you got to have them. Yeah. But there are so many other small root hairs down mm-hmm. there that almost form a web, if you will. Yeah. Uh, and that's what's that's a good root yeah. system there. And that's why know? we use the term soil web because it looks like a web. But if you don't have all the organic matter and the microsiae into the soil, you're not going to have the soil web. The soil web helps take up lots more nutrients and water and helps dig deeper. Yeah, so anytime, you know, that's why we say if you're ever having a root-related problem, I mean, we do everything we can to stimulate root growth. Uh, one is just the old-fashioned root stimulator. It's got the, what, the endobutyric acid in there that stimulates root growth. And then also the espoma like plant tone or holly tone or berry tone or, you know, tree tone, any of those products, they have mycorrhiza in there, which is the beneficial fungi there again that also encourages root hair development. So, you know, you can have root problems from a improper planting like we talked yeah. about in the first hour, excessive moisture, mm-hmm. you know, inadequate drainage. Uh, all those can reduce the root system, if yeah. you will. So you have, a lot of times we had to go in there and try to repair that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these, because when we're planting, um, we're disturbing the root hairs because they're so little tiny, like oh, maybe sure. little hairs on your face, but tiny hairs on your face. Is that whiskers? Not, yeah. They don't look like whiskers. But, um, so, uh, but they're we're small. trying to heal because that's what does all the the soil web, and it's got to go through there to get to the bigger roots to get to the plant. And that's a lot of times why one plant may do well and one plant takes longer. The soil web's been disturbed, which then in turn, a lot of people say tilling is going to damage your soil web, which is true. But so so people do the digging with the shovel and all, but that's still got to damage the soil web. But the tiller does it way more. Well, but we're adding compost generally when we're tilling. You know, we're adding all these wonderful products Mm -hmm. back into the soil to make it conducent uh, for that growth to to grow back faster than normal. So So putting synthetic fertilizers are have their place but when we damage a soil web or trying to create a soil web we have to use all that organic matter good stuff um got a story veda had a a gentleman come into the garden center and this happens you know there are lots of different trees that we can grow here in our landscapes i mean because we do live here in the mid-south and you know there's a diverse amount of trees that we can pick from well, when he moved in this house, there were already some bald cypress mm-hmm. that had been planted. And to me, I love the tree. I mean, they're yeah, beautiful. A lot of times you see them on campuses, so forth. Uh, but the one thing that cannot be so good with the bald cypress are the knees that they can bring up you know, or stick up mm-hmm. out of the ground, which is part of the root system. We've all seen them, the knees that stick up. Usually with the bald cypress, if it's a non-swampy area, mm-hmm. you typically don't see the knees, okay? Or at least you don't see them above ground, mm-hmm. okay? Now, on occasion, they will send them up. Well, 
this gentleman that I was talking to, he's especially this year, uh, and you know, really in the last two years, but especially this year, he is seeing all of a sudden a lot of these knees coming mm-hmm. up, which is part of the root system, coming up in his landscape, and now they're even getting in his yard. So something's changed. Well, I don't know. I think we've with all the moisture we've had. Oh, true. You know, I mean, because that's why bald cypress send up their knees. I mm-hmm. mean, if you have them, a bald cypress will grow in in water. Yeah. But yeah. They'll, they'll send up knees, to, you know, to get for air. the to get air. That's mm-hmm. exactly right. And uh, I was like, you know, I, you know, with all the moisture that we've had, uh, you know, that can only that's really the reason it seems like that you'll see knees uh, growing from these bald cypress. So the reason I'm bringing this up is if you're ever thinking about planting a bald cypress uh, in your landscape, uh, like I said, you typically, unless it stays wet, mm-hmm. uh, you typically don't see the knees. But don't think that you never will. Okay. True. True. Um, there was a client's house that she started getting knees coming up and we realized that the irrigation system had been adjusted and it was getting a lot more water. Absolutely. Yeah. And now there's another place where there's three cypress planted and they only get a lot of water when it rains and the knees aren't, they're not up. Well, if you ever have that problem, you've only got two choices. Well, you got three. You can live with it the way it is. Sometimes that's not easy to Mm do. You can get in there really, and and you can cut the knee uh, right below ground level. Good saws all. Yeah, saws all, and it's not going to come back, and it's not going to mm-hmm. send up sprouts from that knee. Yeah, that's true. You know, yeah. Uh, or you can actually take the whole tree down. He said he is, is, is to a point where he is seeing more than he wants to see. Yeah. So he's going to, I think, wind up taking the the two trees down. Um, which you surely mm-hmm. can do, you know, and then, you know, go ahead and cut the knees below ground and your, I guess, problem solved. But, you know, when people plant, and this happens to all of us, a lot of times we don't think ahead of what can happen mm-hmm. if we plant a particular plant. Right. Or uh, it, we don't even know. Oh, exactly. So we're just bringing this up because, guys, if you're ever thinking about planting a bald cypress, which I absolutely love those trees. I love the way they look. Uh, they're soft looking. Uh, yeah. But if it stays pretty wet, not because of your irrigation, but because maybe of a wet couple of mm-hmm. years, you can start getting those knees come up. And I tell you what, those um, cypress knees come in really handy when you're climbing up the side of a hill and you're like, what can I grab? And there's those cypress knees and you know they're not going anywhere. That's the only time they seem uh, good to me. And then, you know, there are some other like dawn redwoods. Beta, Which I love those. That, you know, kind of look like, in fact, mm-hmm. not even kind of, really do yeah. look like uh, the bald cypress. Maybe so, they're more pinnacle or cone shaped yeah, than the bald cypress, just you know, a little it, bit it more. Maybe don't get quite as big, but, yeah. um, you know, there's always, it seems like there's always a substitute for a plant, whether we, you know, want to take it out or replace it. Uh, that looks kind of like it, if you, you know, will. That tree offers a good amount of shade, but it grows upright, mm-hmm. um, not wide like 30 feet, like an oak tree or whatever. So that's that can be a really good tree to put in a small lot line, mm-hmm. especially if you're not one to do a lot of water. It could go in your desert landscape. <laughs> Because, you know, we think they need tons and tons of water. Because no, they, they will grow, grow there. Yeah, they'll grow there. So this is a very versatile tree. Well, let's see. Why don't we run off for a minute? And we'd like to know if y'all have any gardening questions. 
if you just want us to change the topic. But we've got more topics yeah. to go. And if you want to give us a call, 260-5926. Like we said, we can always go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page. There's Miss Vader right there. And if you miss all this, you can go to kwamradio.com, listen to the podcast later on, or listen to it because it's live and streaming all the time. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you could be with us today. So earlier on, we had a caller that was talking about, um, you know, how they're starting to build oases in the desert. And then, um, because you can make it work, you just change a lot of soil Get some and water, out there. water mm-hmm. and on down the line to create more woods and um, green and all. But also, you know, we were talking about how the climate changes because the trees and all that are gone. Well, it's the same with all of our um, urban or our cities and all. Because, you know, I was thinking, if you come out to Midtown, and there's some when you're getting closer to downtown. and I mean, how, we can't get another plant put in anywhere. You know, we, right. we've just got it going on. But then when you cruise down more to the city, it's like, where? Where do you put the plants? And, I mean, it's beginning to be a known fact that you're just not as psychologically healthy when you're living in a city and you're not getting the energy and all of that. So, you know, wherever we can think of, like, that's where the vertical walls are coming from, from and the green roots are coming from because we're trying to make ourselves feel better. Trying and, to incorporate as much green material yeah, as you can. And trying to, uh, you know, just help with the urbanization and the hot cities and all. But the other thing is, is we're going to have to start creating, building more uh, apartments or businesses that are conducive for adding greenery with. Well, I agree. And I think most people, maybe not on the business side, but surely on the residential side. I mean, even zero lot lines. Yeah. You know, they're smaller than your typical landscaped Mm -hmm. yard, but they're still landscaped to the hilt. Right. You know, so in in, in apartments, typically the same way, Veda. Uh, It's just that when you get into the, you know, the brick and mortar, Mm -hmm. you know, businesses, uh, the streets, the sidewalks, I mean, yeah, there's always going to be areas where, you know, you're going to be void, I think, of some mat- green material. Right. Some cities more so than others. But even New York City, I mean, you have Central Park. I mean, at least they were smart enough to know that they needed a green yeah. oasis in the middle of this huge city. Thank okay? goodness. That was incredible. But you're thoughts. right. But I think a lot of people, you know, that's not forgotten, if you if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I do believe that, uh, you, you know, people try, whether they're developers or whatever, they're trying, you know, they try their best to incorporate, uh, I guess, some of these living spaces. Yeah, you yeah know, we're uh, beginning to see exactly, that more. You know, uh, no doubt about right. it. I mean, yeah, I don't want to live in a city where it's nothing but asphalt, concrete, yeah. and brick. It is depressing because when I have people come out to the country that are not familiar with it, they they say that I feel so good out here. I feel alive out here. I don't want to leave. I'm at peace. This is wonderful. The air smells better. Yeah. You know, it feels better. Right. It, so we're working on the inside of our homes. But, well, you know, there is, I don't remember what, it was overseas. I don't remember what country it was in. <clears throat> but they are building homes that have 
uh, larger patios. They're reinforced and they're planting trees and shrubs mm. all on their patio area. Even but in it's high designed, rises. Yeah, it's designed for that. Uh, which is wonderful, and hopefully we can get to some of that. Well, look at the explosion up. of houseplants now. Yeah. Uh, they, I mean, people are bringing the green indoors. And a lot of these people live in apartments and condos and so forth where they don't have the luxury of having a yard where they can do their own landscape. So they're landscaping inside their home with their yeah. with their houseplants. You know, I wonder why down at, by the river, the bluff and all, we've got tons of places to walk, and there's some trees planted here and there but that's such a perfect opportunity to add more little green spaces well i think that is in the works i mean i've Mm -hmm. I've read something where there's some Mm -hmm. they're gonna i mean there's a lot going on down there on that river bluff and they're it's it's going to get redone if you will and there's even places that are old bridges that they're not being used and they're turning those into parks and landscapes and all. So there's definitely some innovative thinking mm-hmm. out there and hope for the uh, climate change because it also changes the insect and disease patterns as well when we're changing our whole uh, landscape. No, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. changes insect and disease patterns because. Mm. We're warmer, and so all those Um, things that are coming from the southern environments, you know, now we're saying are here. And so it's just kind of progressing. And, you know, the world changes anyway. I mean, there's cities that from old times that are underwater because everything changed. And so we've got that going on, but because it's more in our suburban uh, city things that we've got to change up or the places that we strip the land and, and replace nothing. Well, even the house that I'm in now, I mean, that, that neighborhood was developed uh, a little over 20 years ago. And that's about how long we've been there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we initially moved in, I mean, you, you walk down the street, you drive down the street, you had houses and lawns. And you had that's driveways. Just, yeah. And that's basically, and you had small trees uh, right, planted. Yeah. And the wrong ones normally. Yeah, of course. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah. remember the whole Bradford right. Pear thing, right? And, you know, since then, I mean, people have planted their own landscapes and so forth. And now, you know, all this stuff has had time to mature. Now you drive through the neighborhood and it's lush, yeah. you know, and... and uh, Feels so much yeah, better. It does, Veda. Yeah. And it's probably a lot cooler, you know. Right. But, yeah, so, yeah. So... Thank goodness they're planting. And, you know, it gets, uh, we just got to keep planting as we go out and and build the cities bigger. But, yes, you're so right. I'm seeing more thought put into getting green spaces in the city. (laughs) Well, that's that's a win-win situation. I'm telling you, you can't can't do anything but be a bright spot, a positive, if you will. Um, Had a lady come into the garden center, and, and we experience this, and we see this from time to time. And it seems like, Lichen is always the bad guy, okay? And that's that gray things that grow on the trunks or trunks the Trunks of trees. Well, in this case, it was a limb of an old azalea, okay? And they cut the limb off that was dead yeah. and bring it to the garden center and go, what is this god-awful stuff on the limb of my azalea that's killing my azaleas? And in this case, it was lichen that was growing on there. Are you saying azaleas? Azaleas. <laughs> See, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So... Everybody thinks that when they see a dead limb that's got lichen on it, 
they think it's the lichen that killed the limb. Yeah, you just think that. And yes. that's not the case, guys. I mean, lichen is is there is either there after the fact or it has nothing honestly to do with the dead limb itself. And that's what I explained to her. I said, something else is causing the problem. It's not the lichen. And she said, well, I've never noticed it before. And now I've got this dead limb and I've got this lichen. I said, okay, that's all fine and good. But lichen is still not harming the azalea in this case, just like it wouldn't be harming the trunk of an oak tree that you yeah. see it growing on. Now, having said all that, lichen likes it's a it's a it's actually part algae and fungus mm-hmm. believe it or not but it's it's a algae and fungi of opportunity if a azalea yeah. is weakened for some reason or anemic you know you typically do see more insects and more diseases in fact you'll even see more lichen in fact if an azalea put it this way let's say if you have an azalea out there veda and it's you know 15 years old and it's really starting to weaken whether it's staying too wet too dry lack of nutrients, whatever, it starts to drop some leaves. The more sunlight that reaches the interior of this azalea, in this case the limbs, you start to get lichen growth. Now, if this was a really shaded azalea with a lot of uh, leaves on it, you wouldn't see the lichen growing on there. Mm-hmm. So my, the only point I'm making is, is it's not the lichen that's causing the problem. Yeah, It's exactly. always something else. So if the, you're seeing that, guys, especially on some of your older azaleas, for example, yes, you can go out there and cut out anything that's dead, no doubt about it. But then look at the big picture. What else can you do to make this azalea more healthy? And I would say something to definitely check on is how high the soil is around the base of the tree. Or I see a lot of times that leaves are just blown into azaleas and they're composting down. You're looking for ways that the plant could possibly be stressed. And your plant could look fine, yeah. but we don't know what's going on. That I mean, it can be missing a couple of micronutrients or nutrients, and it's uh, slowing down its, its health. Well, I would say three things. I mean, feed the azalea in this case, mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, check the pH, you know, make sure yeah. that azalea is in the mm, right type of point. pH. Yeah. Uh, and then, um, you know, maybe add some organic matter around right. the uh, azaleas in this case. But uh, it, it, it's funny how, of course, people think that because they see this growth on the limb and that's the limb that's dead. But in this case, it's not the lichen's fault. It's something yeah. else that's the problem, okay? It's just amazing what plants do. I mean, you see it out in the woods, too. Uh, growing on trees and I'm thinking well are those trees stressed but there's more ways for trees to be stressed in the forest than we ever knew actually that and then of course trees only last so long occasion you know and so they may be ready to they may be starting to decline but it's going to take a long time but the lichens can be inhibiting trees. Well, yes. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but there again, the reason I'm bringing this up, and for the most part, uh, the lichen is not a problem. Yeah, yeah. and I'm wondering what's like stressing a big tree in the forest to allow the lichens to grow on it. Well, a know? lot of times, you know, you say, you know, we see it on the north side of a tree trunk because it mm-hmm. stays cooler on that side which it stays more wet on that side veda for longer yes so it's conducive for lichen to grow that's true all right we're going to head to a break and then we'll have mr paul next and y'all are going to want to listen to mr paul we'll be right back
Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. So... What are you there dancing for? I know. You just cannot not do a little jig, at least. My memo, one time I was dancing in the chair. I was pretty young, and she goes, quit that butt dancing. <laughs> Before you fall out of that chair, girl. Right. So um, let's go to Mr. Paul. Thanks for the call, Mr. Paul. Good morning, Beta and Kenneth. And good morning to you, brother. And how's your weekend been so far, Mr. Paul? Well, it's been very quiet and uneventful so far, and that's what we like. Yeah, so that sounds quiet, fantastic quiet to me. Quiet and uneventful. Yes. I'll go with that. What's on your mind this morning? I don't. I was just calling to touch base with y'all and see if y'all were doing all right and tell you y'all are doing a good job. Well, thank you, Mr. Paul. Well, thank you, Mr. Paul. But, you know, we still miss old Jim. You know, I tell you, with his, um, you know, he was diagnosed with uh, some health problems. And, you know, he know. just wanted to take a little time off and sit in the recliner, like you said, and take care of the Mid-South Gardening Facebook page, you know, that he's, uh, that he's well, the Mid-South mm-hmm. Gardening Facebook page. Famous yeah. Facebook page. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking about Jim all the time, and we're just hoping, you know, everything, a, a speedy recovery, if you will, and hope we can get yeah. it back up in the studio. Right. Yeah, I know. Uh, but he also is posting some real good pictures and stuff. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, he, got, he slept late one morning because I had a question for him. I guess it was early. And he, he, uh, I, I said that one for Jim Crowder, and uh, uh, he come back a little later and said, yeah, he was sleeping in late that morning, and which that's fine. People are to do that once in a yeah. while. But he, he is one of those authorities authoritative people yeah. that no matter what you ask him to yeah. eat, some of us will just make something up. Right. But Jim knows pretty well the right answer for most everything, unless it's organic. And then there's, you know, that's, <laughs> we have to talk to about that. Yeah, I've seen your uh, comments, Mr. Paul, and all the things that you're adding. So it's so wonderful to see you on uh, his Facebook page, too. On oh, Mid-South Gardening Facebook yeah. page, yeah. So I'll definitely have to look that up. Well, I've, I've, I finally got to where I'm, like I told Kenneth last week, uh-huh. I, uh, technology is not my friend. <laughs> but I just keep punching buttons until <laughs> something comes up, you know, and I put the wrong answer, the wrong things on some site sometime. Yeah. And people just seem to give me a pass. I hadn't got banned off. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness there's a delete your story button. <laughs> I'm with you, Mr. Paul. I mean, forever and a day, it seems like when this stuff first started coming out, computers and all this, I mean, I was just, I wasn't, it's not like I was against it, but I wasn't really interested in learning about it, okay? And then little yeah. did I know there would come a day that we had better learn about it, or you get completely left behind. Um, well, yeah, you're right. Uh, it's it's going to be before long. That's the only way we're going to be able to communicate, I guess, if they keep locking us up in our house. <laughs> so we can't get out on No gas now, you know. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And lawnmower last week. Couldn't put it in the big car. Yeah. Had a guy come into the garden center yesterday, and he said two things. He said he's putting just enough gas in his car to get where he needs to go, and he's putting just enough gas in the tractor to get to the other side of the field. (laughs) Well, you know, there are reported more people running out of gas ever than there used to be, and that's the reason. I saw a couple guys this morning, early this morning, with a gas can in their hand, walking (laughs) back to a car that, that had the flashers on. So there you go.
You know? right. Well, I don't know. We're just we're living in a strange time, and I think we're just really blessed to, to be able to witness all of it. Well, right. I hear the birds, so I yes. hope and pray that you're already outside sitting out there by the old boot box on the porch, Mr. Paul. And if you're not out there, that's where you should be. Me and the puppy dog are out here. We've been out here for a good while. See, that's I love great. it. Well, Paul, we love you to death. If we can ever do anything for you, of course, let us know. And if we ever have a question about, you know, good old-fashioned sedum, then you're going to be the first person that we're going to call. Well, we love you guys, and y'all do a great job, and we appreciate you being there. All right. Thank you, Mr. Paul. We appreciate you as well. And remember, last time I talked to Mr. Paul, I wanted to know if he was going to, um, uh, you know, if he was going to ever get back on stage with the, you know, the Leaping Lizards, and he said it just probably wasn't going to happen. Well, (laughs) I guess things have to go. So, you know, this gives us more of a reason to... And up or upgrade our our landscapes and make them little rooms where you can uh, um, enjoy them, like water gardens, waterfalls. You know, water gardens aren't that hard. Uh, you don't have to dig big holes, and you know, make you can it, yeah. You don't have to make it ten by ten with the big waterfall. You can get water garden tubs and just add underwater grasses, water lilies, and fish. And really, you don't have to even have a pump to it. And you can balance your water garden in any type of situation. Well, but and it's very enjoyable. It is, but I also like the sound of the water. Mm-hmm. You know, that's weird, you know, whether it's a fountain, whether it's a p- little garden uh, pond, like you're talking about, Veda, that has a little waterfall in it. You know, there are wall fountains mm-hmm. you can put on your wall. There are fountains yeah. you can put on, the, on a table, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you like the sound of that running water, which right. I do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, I'd rather spend my time outdoors for the most part than I would indoors. Yeah. Um, you know, you can make a, a tropical area. You know, there's a lot of plants that look tropical that can come back. Uh, you can make your protective evergreen area. Uh, then also a reason. Oh, there's a reason not to have a lawn anymore is the price no, of grass. <laughs> the grass, <laughs> price of gr- grass. Uh, probably that too. The price of gas, as we were saying earlier. So that would be a good reason to uh, not have a lawn. See, I mean, you just want, you don't want any grass out there at all. You know, I say that, but I absolutely have to have a green patch of grass. I mean, that's part of it. There's fields, you know, that, that are green and, and grassy as well. So it's part of the field. Of your environment. Yeah, but you're just saying don't rip everything out just to put more grass in. You still yeah. want to have some perennials, some annuals, some trees and shrubs yeah. out there. It doesn't have to be just nothing but grass, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. The whole lawn. I know we got to go to a break, Veda, but i got to say this. Um, you know, the, every year uh, new shrubs are introduced on the market, of course. Uh, and one uh, that I wrote down was the Little Missy Boxwood. Uh, it, it's one of those uh, dwarf boxwoods. It only gets about two foot tall, about two foot wide. Uh, it's more there again, like a lot of these new introductions. It's it's not as susceptible to the boxwood blight, mm-hmm. especially in the Virginias, the South Carolinas, the Eastern Tennessees. Um, you know where they are having a problem with that blight, and eventually, I think we will also. Um, but it's it's ranked high in resistance to boxwood blight. It's great for containers. But it's just one of those, if you're looking for whether it's a low shrub in this mm-hmm. case or whether it's a plant that you put in a container, 
because I know that you used to do tons of container gardening. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a little messy boxwood. It's just one of those little boxwoods that's only going to get two foot tall, two foot wide. And it's a hybrid. So it's not like the old English yeah. boxwood. They were almost impossible to grow. Okay? Mm-hmm. Really, think just about it. bottom line. Yeah. yeah, so there are some uh, some good hybrid boxwoods out there, guys. Tons of boxwoods on the market now. They can take full sun. Uh, extremely easy to grow. But in this case, this one in particular is only going to get about two foot tall, two foot wide. And there's a lot of different ways you can use it. But like I tell people, I don't care what kind of boxwood you're putting in the ground, even if it's the Korean boxwood that you can't kill, okay? Yeah. You still got to have good drainage. And I guess that's true with any but, boxwood you put in the but ground. this is the extra drainage where you could use the Permatil or the Enlighten, which we were talking about for the Auto Lucan Laurels. But it's, it's a neat, good-looking, stays green, look-up little Missy boxwood, Veda. And I love, you know, baby gems and mm-hmm. green velvets and green mountains yeah. and winter greens. I yeah. like them all. And they all, you know, have their advantages. Mm-hmm. Some get bigger, some are stay smaller, uh, some are more pyramidal, if you will. Yeah. But uh, this one's pretty darn neat, I'm Man, telling you. you. You describe in all the different sizes, which I'm aware of as well, but it just made me think of how you could do a section with nothing but boxwoods oh absolutely you could oh that sounds interesting i want to play with that some so um i was looking again well we're always looking but uh, i got this off facebook so i just had to share it because it was so cute and this goes to a lot of gardeners i'm sure things i do in my spare time (laughs) rearrange plants repot plants (laughs) propagate plants Buy plants, talk to plants, water plants. <laughs> that is what we do in our spare time because that's more fun than... Uh, that's funny. Yeah. That's yeah. a lot of plant going on, I'm telling you. It is. And then there's... Uh, well, we'll talk about it after this little break and we'll be right back. <laughs> Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Look at her. She's dancing again, y'all. I'm glad to hear that one. (laughs) If you want to give us a quick call, 260-5926, 260-5926. And real quick, Veda, Danwitz Garden Centers, vegetables, if you ain't got them in the ground yet or if the first ones you planted died, you got them on sale at 99 cents. Most of them. Uh, and then tropicals at 40% off, and I know y'all were running some sales yeah, also. Yeah, we got a lot of shrubs that, um, some of the ones we we mentioned, you know, you always have to have some kind of sale in the summer yeah. because we don't want to water them all summer. Give them a good home. Yeah, because, I mean, they're going to, we're talking about we don't water them all summer because they're in small buckets, but <laughs> if you've got them in the ground, then, oh, then you're yeah. all good to go. So um, I was going to let you know that, you know, sunshine's important because you get vitamin D, which is good for your body and healthy bones and well-being and all of that. I go with that. But, you know, we get the sunburn, we get the skin damage and all that. I'll definitely go with that. Yes. So research is, you know, there's some things that you can do to help your skin to resist the, the damage and all that. And, of course, one of them is, yay, tomatoes. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you're not saying just sunscreen. You're saying things that we can eat. eat. Yeah. Tomatoes, watermelons. I'm going to eat one every day. Watermelons. Like I'm going to eat a, I don't, I could eat either a tomato or Or a watermelon watermelon. or part of that every day. Or red bell peppers. I didn't know that. So, uh, because they're all rich in that lycopene thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that's going to help. It's uh, also a pair of powerful. (laughs) 
powerful. I was going to write that letter. <laughs> and you were. Antioxidant. And then the flax seed, the fish oil, mm-hmm. the krill, omega-3, the fatty acids, which lubricates the skin cells. Then the Spanish, <laughs> spinach, the spinach, the green leafy vegetables, they're all rich in a lot of other things, too. So that all that is good for your skin. Right. And it helps protect, well, I guess healthy skin. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and then you've got all that other stuff going on to help reduce the issues. But I'm still going to put on the old suntan lotion, yeah, though. Yeah, you got to do that, too. But here's the crazy thing is I make smoothies. I put a lot of different things together. And then when I go to visit Seth, my son, he's always improving on his smoothies. So he mm. made one the other day. Well, actually, my granddaughter's just 10. She wanted to make it this time. Now, were these fruit smoothies or veggie smoothies? They're all together in one. Really? So it, I said, just don't make it green. Just do not make it green. Mm-hmm. And so we've got peanut butter, a protein powder, uh, a mixture of strawberries and bananas, mm-hmm. sounding so good, and spinach. <laughs> ah, spinach. But I didn't know that he had put that in before, and I'm saying, this is the best ever. And he said, or Cheyenne goes, well, I put spinach in there, Nona. And I was like, no, no, you didn't. But sure I enough. had no clue. How do all these things blend together to make such a delicious drink? You well, would well, never think. And you know it's going to be good for you, too. So. Yeah, exactly. Well, we need some delicious drinks around some of these roses and pennies that we're still <laughs> seeing powdery mildew on. Uh, and that's just another one of these things to be aware of. You know, we had such a, a wet spring, and we've talked about this, that it, it was just, you know, a breeding ground for different fungi. Uh, and any time it rains, starts raining in November and, and doesn't stop until mid-April. I mean, we expect yeah. to see that. Whether it was powdery mildew on, like I said, roses, pennies, whether it's powdery mildew that we saw on dogwoods, or whether it's the other different types of diseases that we're seeing on a lot of different ornamentals, trees, and shrubs. So all this fungal stuff's happening. Absolutely. Extended, <clears throat> extended coolness, you think? Yeah, and yeah. cool. Yes, Veda. Uh, moisture and, and cool, uh, especially the moisture side of it. So we're just saying that if you're making your rounds out there and you see this white powdery mildew, um, in fact, I've had people come into the garden center just this week where it looked like it actually had snow on the foliage. It was Ooh. so thick. Uh, and that's both on peonies that we've seen it on this week, uh, roses that we've seen it on this week, but we've seen it on a lot of different things, as you know, Veda, garden flocks, dogwoods yeah. on down the line. But anyway, I mean, there are fungicides out there, uh, whether it's the liquid systemic fungicide, um, you know, there's potassium bicarbonate, which is yeah. kind of like a baking soda, if you will. Yeah. Uh, there's so, the neem. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're right. And the neem will more or less, it will help prevent further powdery mildew because mm-hmm. it coats the leaf yeah. and it helps the uh it keeps the mildew from anchoring itself right. to the leaf okay yeah, it's just not kind of fluffed on there it has anchors so be yeah. on the lookout for still powdery mildew uh you know along with the japanese beetles mm-hmm. that we were talking about the bagworms that we were yeah. talking about it's just that we we, we don't want to be full of bad information but we want to mm-hmm. give you the information of what's going yeah. on out there and be aware of what's going on right when I first see the powdery mildew I, I look at is it a wrong variety for the area um, is it overcrowded is it in part shade 
if I can't figure it out, you do, and I've got a little powdery mildew, I actually rub it off with my fingers, but I'm spraying the foliage and the, the soil with a liquid fertilizer. You know, seaweed is, has been uh, known to stop. It can be a uh, add to your fungal inhibitor. It can. So, and then I feed it. So I try that first before I go in depth with something else. And then, you know, if it was more than a couple leaves I could wipe off, I would go ahead and spray the neem. Um, after that, you usually have it under control. I still would give another spraying, another fertilization in about a week. But that way I've did it. I've done it all natural. And, you know, you kind of just come one. Here we go. You become one with your garden. Well, but you made the comment, Beta, that you also, you know, check the surroundings. You know, is the plant in the right area? But sometimes, it, you know, the plant can be in the perfect area where it needs to be. It's getting enough sun. It gets, it gets good drainage. It gets good air circulation. Uh, and it doesn't get over-irrigated. Uh, but just yeah. the weather sometimes can right. cause a lot of these problems. Well, you know what else can cause it, too? It's really an almost an oxymoron in a way, because if they plants get too dry, <clears throat> that's another. It makes it easier for the uh, fungus to attach to the plant with these types of weather we have. Because if a plant gets too dry, it's dry, wet, dry, wet. That's stressing it and allowing... Because, you know, powdery mildew is everywhere. But all the environment has to be right at the same time to make this happen. So a lot of times if you change your environment then you've, you've gotten rid of the three issues that causes it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're exactly right. And let me say this also. I think I am definitely won over on sun patients. You know how we talked yeah. about sun patients about a month ago. And, you know, it's, it's the impatient that has the bigger bloom, uh, mm-hmm. the bigger leaf, it can definitely take um, all the sun you want to give them. Uh, you know, you know, we always we all grew up with shade loving impatience. Yeah, okay? that's just where they go. Exactly. Yeah. And then came the New Guinea impatience that could take a little more sun mm-hmm. than your old fashioned. Just a little more. Just a little more. Yeah. yeah but they still had the bigger bloom and uh-huh. the bigger leaves. And now these sun patients. Uh, and my wife actually planted some on the west side of the house. Mm-hmm. Okay? The worst. Yeah, and it's so, and it gets a lot of sun. Now, I can tell you this the ones that get full blazing afternoon sun, they're not quite as prolific Mm -hmm. as the ones that get a little bit of relief because of that tree that's in my front yard. (laughs) Tree. Yeah, a tree. (laughs) Still there. So, but my point is, um, they are for real. I'm telling you, they're they're blooming their heads off, Uh, they make a nice mounded. Uh, bedding plant. Uh, the blooms are much bigger, you know, than your typical yeah. inpatient. I get that, you know, but uh, I see nothing wrong moving mm-hmm. forward with uh, people incorporating sun patients yeah. in their landscape as but, an annual. Yeah, because, you know, our sun's really intense. And then again, full sun means at least six hours. Yeah. And we've got the full sun all day, which is so intense. So that's great because that they're they're living like that because in those situations we're usually saying lantana, yeah, moss rose, wax leaf begonias, dragonweed yeah. begonias, you know some things are uh, portulaca like you said oh, moss yeah. rose, purslane, angelonia. There are some plants out there that can really take that when you say full sun, full sun. But uh, it's kind of an experiment. I'll let you know how mine do anyway. 
and the mm-hmm. ones that are getting that, I mean, full blazing right. afternoon sun compared to the ones that get a little bit of relief during the day. But right now, I'm telling you, they're all yeah. they're all blooming their heads off. The ones that are just in full blazing sun are not just quite mm-hmm. as prolific as the ones that are getting a little bit of relief. Well, that makes me think of, because we're talking about a little bit different environments, we had a huge order of houseplants come in. They wouldn't all fit in the building, so we left a few out, and those have grown, and the ones in the building are like, I'm just in the building, I'm hanging and out. And we call them houseplants for some reason, right? Yeah, some reason. Well, we had a great three hours, and we can't wait to be with you next weekend. Check out Facebook, Mid-South Gardening.